Hey, this is Donnie Kate. And I'm Ryan Stegman. And we are Venom. <laughs> That's familiar sound again. Mm-hmm. It's all normal. It's all right now. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't say anything. Oh, I'm just, I, I was going to say something, but I didn't want to open up the... Um, I didn't want to cause any sort of discussion to, to, to spring from it. Not between us, but out in the, in the room. Oh, yeah. Training, but um, the uh, in the podcast verse, yes. Um, but no, it's it's um, it, it feels nice to be to feel like I'm part of civilization again. Yes, sir. Took a bath and shit. All clean oh, and God. stuff. I took the best fucking shower. Did you put the um, candles on the side of the bathtub when you in there? A, I bet it was golden. <laughs> 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 oh, no, right off the, the bat. But, you open your mouth. Um, oh, <laughs> it's good. Put it in your hair. It's good for your first thing in the morning. That's what I hear. Yeah, I don't um, have any hair, so. Well, but if you did, like if you did when you did, you probably still would. Oh, I see where you went with that. Right? So, yeah, forty-seven. Oh, well, it is. But no, <laughs> it was. A, I missed that show. Right? It was. Uh, and and you know post. Post storm, post event. I'm reading all these these articles. How um, like five different tornadoes landed between the two counties, and uh, we we weren't hit with any hail, but winds in excess of 110 miles per hour. It lasted like seven minutes, but it did so much damage. And there's some places in the area that. Uh, it's almost I, I didn't see any cows when we were driving home, but there was some places that looked like Twister where like the the, the it landed and then skipped mm-hmm. a couple hundred yards and then landed again. And it's just and I mean, there's still there's still some wires and cables down. Everybody's pretty much up and running again, but there's still a little bit of cleanup. But it was um, it was way beyond anything uh, anybody had predicted or even expected because we've been and it was and, and where we in the valley because we're surrounded by mountains and and trees we you know we're usually pretty safe um like mm-hmm. I, I remember the when when it when it rained and jason sent us a photo of his town that was pretty much underwater mm-hmm. a couple of years ago yeah. that that really can't happen here because it is wooded and and it's uneven, so water will. We'll, we'll, we have escape routes, but um, we're pretty pr- well protected as far as like winds go. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and I was saying that to my wife as I was coming around the corner, coming up the the one street, one of the two streets to get to my house, and and I says, you know, it's we're we're kind of protected i you know our house never really gets any damage and and i mean yeah the wind will take some trees down because of of how our little area is is shaped and kind of protected we're not nothing can really kind of touch down here and as i'm saying that a tree and a utility pole is blocking the fucking road that i drive on every day so i back 
and I go to the other way, and I says, but anyway, so you know, excluding this little incident right here, but it it was just it was it was nuts. And as bad as it was back in March with the nor'easters, and and we were down for the few days there a couple of times, um, the the crews on the ground and the power company's reactions and and their resolution for everything was much much better they they did it wasn't ideal but they definitely learned from past mistakes so hopefully they can continue that going forward but mm. um nice nice nevertheless i yeah and you are protected by home it's the loving arms of 11 o'clock comics specifically episode 542 and i am vince b mm. Oh, sorry, I was drinking. I am David A. Price. It's like he didn't know he was next. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't. I thought you were going with the whole sponsorship intro. I didn't no, know. That, uh, I would so never I, cut I, you I, off. I, I miss a week, and I just I forget the format. You're right. <laughs> it's a format Wednesday. It's true, and of course, I am Mario Van Peebles. No, oh. you're, you're not. You're not. You, Jason. Wood. Why would you be Mario Van Peebles? Why not? Oh, I thought something That's significant happened. Nope. Oh, just to be. Other than him being a total badass. He is, but you're not M- you You're our MVP, Jason Woo. How about that shit? Look at that. It was right off the cover. It yeah. was. I'm it's surprised so at myself. Well, uh-huh. and, and you will not be surprised. At the pristine condition, your books arrive from Discount Comic Book Service, DCBService.com, where you can get your books, get them fast, get them delivered right to your very own door for a fraction of the retail cost. This may be the, no, it's not the last time. Um, the specials, they are many, and I have selected a few, specifically three. Mm-hmm. The first from IDW. It's the Transformers Unicron number one, written by James Roberts, art by the great Alex Milne. This thing's four ninety nine. What? But don't let that stop you, because that's not what you're going to pay. You are Hell going no, to no, it isn't. No, you're going to pay half that price. You're going to pay two dollars and forty nine cents, and for issue two, you're still not going to pay the four ninety nine cover price. You're going to get it for even you know less. Um, from DC, it's the Batman meets the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles second time around. This one's called uh, Batman Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2. That's an original title. Uh, <laughs> written by James Tinian Fourth, with art by the phenomenous Freddie Williams. Phenomenous. Like phenomenous my new word. Freddie Williams II. Um, cover price is twenty four ninety nine because it is a hardcover collecting six, six issues. But you're not going to pay the $24.99. You are going to pay $12.49. That's half off. And pimping this hard because it's going to be great. I just know it. Written by Donnie Cates. Art by Dylan Burnett. Cover by Jeff Shaw. It's the Cosmic Ghost Rider from Marvel. Number one of five. Three ninety nine cover price. Your price? Tell them. Tell them. $1.99. DCBService.com does not mind late orders or order editions, and you get your books all shipped right to your door in great condition. You don't even have to get up off the couch. Well, you, you got to pee and poop once in a while. So you <laughs> will have to get up eventually, but not to, not to order your books. 
Not happening. Hell no. Nope. They are the best. And I hope to put my order in tomorrow night. Oh, my goodness. I would be sweating right? bullets if I waited this long. Wait, it's I'd, not too I, late? No. No, I did get the uh, email, but um, they don't mind late orders, I'm told. But um, I can I can try to, you know, Sweet talk. a bit. Yes. Exactly. So, um, Hey, Christina, what's up? Yeah. yeah. Kind of forgot I mean, I have, to I didn't, uh, place my obviously order. Obviously, I didn't have my... <laughs> I, I, I didn't... Uh, I don't have my big ass previews book, so I had to. I, I'm going through my past couple of months, so I can make sure I don't miss anything, um, and definitely make sure I miss one or two things, and then um, think half of comic book day, and then we have. Uh, but yeah, I hope to be back on track. Maybe I'll get it in earlier next month. Hope springs and all that, but um, mm-hmm. you'll be happy to know, Vince. I finally clicked record. So I, I got your backup. Cool. What are y'all drinking? We skipped a drink roll call last week. Really? We did. Yeah. I know. It's, yeah, it's crazy. Weird. Because Donnie was like, I had to listen to this stuff about storms and Yeah, he put missing. us on Front Street. Yeah, so I was like, well, I guess I'm not going to do the drink roll call. He was at the Marvel Retreat. I mean, the guy had an right. excuse. So what would you rather do? Listen to... Um, you know, Joe Q or listen to us. Us. Mm. No. Depends. Uh no. Well if he's well, talking I'll, about I'll... Ash, then yeah. I'm going last because it's gonna segue into something else. So oh. Vince, what are you just now drinking? I have Yes. I have just been handed a big ass bottle, three liters of um Dang. Livingston Cabernet Sauvignon. Oh, it actually, is a name. Look at that. Yep, right. It does. Damn, look at you all grown up. Yep, I like it. It's good. Proud it of you. I'm glad. What you got, Jason? I'm drinking Cross Springs Cabernet Sauvignon. Ooh, it's quite melodic. Mm-hmm. Dap, we going for a trifecta with the Cabernet? Uh, maybe. What? Well, because this is a red wine, so it's likely mm-hmm. a blend. Oh, but it's uh, in there. It's in there. Because it is my first thank you of the evening from Alex Mansfield. This is The Prisoner from Napa Oh, Valley. nice. Wasn't it? It's good, isn't it? It is good. So I wanted to um, celebrate my return with, celebrate. with this. Celebrate. So uh, that. Is my first thank you. Uh, does anybody else have any thank yous? I do. I have Go ahead. Uh, my thank you goes out to Mr. Rob Stevenson. Yes. Who had sent me a pair of beautiful iron-on transfers. Remember back in the yes. day when you would peruse your comics and you would see a whole page of iron-on transfers. Keep on trucking. Uh, hang in there, baby. You know, that kind of stuff. Uh, peace signs and all that that shit well he sent me two ed roth inspired horrible creatures on hot rods one is the xenomorph from alien uh it's called space trucking and it's he's peeling out i mean that's the standard big daddy roth motif he's got the giant gear shift with an eight ball on it and the second one is the scooby gang 
in the mystery um, mobile, Fred is all roided out. Um, Velma's showing some ass cheek. And um, Daphne's got tats and a low blouse and a cigarette. So friggin' hot, dude. Yeah. This is great. I love this kind of stuff. And and Velma's throwing the bird. She's flipping the bird. Mm-hmm. Nice. I love it. Mm-hmm. I love it. I'm gonna I'm gonna try. I think I have some some good white t-shirts. If not, I'm gonna go get some and put these on. Maybe I'll I'll wear it to Heroes. But if that wasn't enough, on the back of the envelope, he drew me a picture. And guess what he did? What? It says hot stuff parenthesis inside and it is the detail from the cover of frank zappa's hot rats well how about that yep the man knows me so i I get some oa i get some stuff to to uh put on some t-shirts i love mail art when people draw on the outside of the envelope especially if they do it in the place where the post office cancels it Oh, I love that. I love it, love it, love it, love it. But this was on the back, but that's okay. So now this envelope will never be thrown away. It becomes it. becomes part of my mail art archive. And I, it's pretty big. And this mm-hmm. is this is by far one of the better pieces. That's thank, awesome. So so thank you, Rob. I very much appreciate it. I have the exact same thank you. I also got the glorious iron-ons and the same two and um the alien one is super cool but i uh i love the idea of a dirty nasty version of the scooby gang (laughs) (laughs) i'll send you some links i may have to (laughs) i I may have a dvd or two um uh, i uh i may need to break my t-shirt rule and uh and bring this to heroes who knows nice no we'll get Um, you a denim jacket a white denim jacket and we'll put it right right on the back you would look so hot it's true. It's true. <laughs> Hotter. And and then I have no another sleeves. thank you Ooh. from Mr. Peter Drummond. He um, he heard me mention on one of our episodes a while back that uh, I did not have the complete run of Kickers Incorporated. So <laughs> he sent me the, the complete run of Kickers Incorporated. Um, but uh, I'm bearing the lead because he also sent me, which is super, super cool. Um, well, for, uh, two things actually. He sent me. Uh, he's been. He's making pins now. It's part of his new company. So he sent me a bunch of dope pins, and then the pièce de résistance. He sent me a color plate from Watchmen. Sweet. It's awesome. That is very cool. It's super freaking cool. I do not own any color plates, so it's not only from Watchmen, but it's my first ever color plate. Look at that. And, uh, yes, I, I thanked him already personally, but I. Still wanted to give him the the love on the sh- on the on the airwaves. So thank you so much. Peter. Peter's a good guy. Yes, he yeah. is a good guy. I I did not um, thank Peter personally. Uh, I wanted to wait until this evening. Uh, he sent me a couple of pins from the gaming company uh, and a a metal the hanging piece of tin art. Which is, uh, it's a very familiar image uh, of the collected edition, the cover of the collected edition from uh, Grendel Black, White, and Red. Mm. So it's the Art Deco-y with, with Hunter Rose standing in the middle and, and, and some blood splatter with the cityscape behind him. And it, it's 
I'm I'm going to accuse the post office for bending the the middle slightly. Um but I kinda flattened it out as best I can. I, it's not hung up yet, but I, I have it within eyesight and, and it looks stunning. Uh he also included it's a uh it's a piece of production art from the um the ninth issue of the Adam. It's page six. Hmm. It's Gil Kane uh, attacking the foot of a um, of of a basically a conquistador. But it it's 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 not OA, but it's just a it, it's really cool. It's it's maybe a little smaller than nine by twelve. It's it's I really, really like it a lot. So I want to thank him very much for that. I um, as basically, uh, he reached out today because the announcement of the um, June the EOC June gift exchange has uh, been announced. So I um, I'm pegged it on the Eleven O'clock Comics Facebook page and. Uh, wanted to make sure I mentioned the gift exchange, but um, told him that he'll probably also get a little bit of love tonight. Uh, so yes, I absolutely, I, I absolutely love everything. Thank you very much, Peter. It, it's really um, unexpected and, and, and really appreciated. I also want to thank our good buddy, Ramon Onomar and uh, Chris Revacant for going out of their way and their lovely ladies uh, for um, sending a few of the samplings from the free comic book day this year my way. So I read a few of them. Uh, I'm still reading some and uh, I just want to thank my brothers for uh, hooking me up since I didn't. Um, I must, I, I guess I just missed the uh the email from dcbs and i wasn't about to go and i've given them enough i've I've had to email them a couple of times about things that i've screwed up so i didn't want to just add something else to it and so i and and by the by by the time i realized it it was just would have been more of a hassle to try to look for things so i was just like fuck it i'll probably i'll just i'm not hurting for things to read so (laughs) it was i was i was fine if 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 i missed anything but um the dude's it just hooked me up, so I thank them for that. Noise. So yeah, so if you want to, uh, if you are a member of the uh, Facebook group, you can see the uh, the EOC June Gift Exchange. Otherwise, if you're interested in participating, shoot an email to pdrummondcontact at gmail.com with the uh, following Subject line, EOC, June Gift Exchange. Your first and last name, and if you have a shipping preference uh, for international or domestic, uh, depending on where you live, because don't say domestic and you're in London and Peter's going to hook you up with some dude in California. That's not how it works. So just let them know where you are and your shipping preference. And and, uh, that's it as far as my thank yous and announcements. Sweet. Let's talk some comics now. 
for some of our listeners, this is a banner day because it's our first getting the gang all together just to talk comics in a while. It is. Yeah. I mean, as far as not, it's just, you know, running something out real quick or throwing it in your travels out there. But yeah, I mean, to actually, I, it's not, it's awesome talking to Eric, loved it. Um, I'm sure it was awesome talking to Donnie and Ryan and, and, but every once in a while as, as fun as it is to talk to dudes, you don't get to talk to too often. Um, I, I think a, a back to basics is, is at times just what the doctor ordered. Hills. Yes. <laughs> well, somebody go first. <laughs> I'm not going first because everything I have is long and involved and I'm not going first. <laughs> You're so cute. I know. Right. It the dorms. All right, I'll uh, I'll start. I I uh, every year the when the Eisner Award nominations come out, I always like to peruse them for stories or comics or collected editions that uh, got the love that I had uh, not been familiar with. Because in uh, as much as we are and like to think of ourselves as fairly comprehensive stewards of this fine hobby. Uh, there are frankly just so many comics that get put out that uh, we miss some. And it's become one of my favorite things that uh, when the Eisners hit, I make a list, I hit up in stock trades or if they don't have the stuff, uh, other websites and place an order and start consuming. And that quest has begun in earnest this year and so the thing that I'll throw out for everyone is a hardcover from first second. It is called The Dam Keeper, D-A-M, by Robert Kondo and Dice Sutsumi. Um, those two guys are former Pixar animators. They worked on a bunch of uh, Pixar films. They left to start their own animation studio back in 2015 and created an 18-minute animated short uh, film called The Dam Keeper. And it was nominated that year for an Academy Award. It didn't win. But um, as it turns out, that short film was the prequel to this graphic novel. Um, In this uh, book, you have a... Uh, schoolboy, I don't know if he's early high school or late middle school, uh, a pig. And he has been uh, bestowed a very significant duty uh, by his father in that uh, they live in a town that is a walled, it's a walled town. And there's a gigantic uh, black fog that uh, is lethal and it uh, creeps comes and goes, it ebbs and flows, but it often comes in and uh, in times past the fog had decimated much of the world around them and killed many of the townspeople which facilitated the building of the wall many years ago and what they call the dam and the dam is basically um, not what you think, it's essentially uh, a windmill that sits atop the wall and when the fog approaches the dam keeper uh, must operate the windmill to blow the fog away and uh, the pig's father was the was the dam keeper. He built the he built the, the mechanisms and created it. Uh, but probably because of the weight of having to fight off this evil force, 
went mad. Um, go ahead. You felt like you were going to say something. You got cut off a little bit. Oh, I did? Yeah. Because of the weight of this evil force. And then nothing. Oh, the, the, the father was slowly driven. He, driven. he drove himself mad. And uh, then the pig's mother is killed, which sends his dad over the deep end. And he commits suicide by walking into the fog. Now, this is all prequel stuff. This is all stuff that's set up in the, uh, in the, the uh, prologue. So we're now fast forward to present. And the little boy was taught by his father how to, to maintain the dam. And so he is stuck with the burden of maintaining this, this dam and fighting off this evil force by himself while still going to school. He's an orphan and essentially trying to maintain some sense of normalcy. Um, and he's an outcast as a result. And he has a pretty sad life, really. Um, he has a, a new person moves to town, a little fox, and that fox is his only friend. But Fox also has another good friend named Hippo, who's your stereotypical bully. Hippo really doesn't like Pig, would prefer that Fox diss Pig and they just hang out one on one. But but Fox is a legitimately great person and, and is trying to encourage his two friends to become friends. Uh, school's out for summer. And so all the kids are making plans to, to do what kids do in the summer and have fun. And uh, unfortunately, Pig can't do that because he has to go back to the his home, the, the dam, and maintain the dam. Um, and, and then from there, uh, he basically is doing that. And um, Hippo and Fox pay him a visit because they haven't seen him in a while and they want to check in on him. And while they're paying him a visit, the fog comes back, but it comes back in a gigantic... Uh, almost a, like a giant tsunami, uh, looks like a tsunami wave of all blackness, bigger and badder than it's ever been, and essentially destroys the dam and whirls the three um, anthropomorphic kiddos into the darkness. Um, but they don't find themselves dead. They wake up and they are in basically a, a, a uh, an ash-white version of their world. Um, things are pretty much all dead and ashy, um, but they're they're alive and they're wandering around and um, and the mystery continues because they they don't know what's going on, why they're there. They come across other people who seemingly are speaking in tongues, so they're very confused and they have to figure out what to do, how how if and how they can get back home. Um, and and on their quest, they come across uh, a much much larger city, um, almost like a megalopolis. And it, too, has massive, massive walls, similar to, let's say, Game of Thrones, you know, that kind of giant wall. And atop those walls are gigantic windmills, many, many times the size of, of what, what his father created to put off the fog. And, and that's essentially where, where the book ends. Um, and it's timely to bring this up. I didn't know this when I picked up the book to read a week ago, but... Uh, as it turns out in this month's previews, the Dam Volume 2, the Dam Keeper Volume 2 is solicited, uh, as is this volume, again, for those that are looking to buy it. But um, the magic of this book is honestly the illustration. Um, it is on. It is genuinely like nothing else I've ever seen in a comic book. Um, it's, it's digital, as you might have guessed when I mentioned that the two guys are former Pixar animators. But the style of the digital animation is so unique. By their own acknowledgement, it is created digitally, but it was meant to look like um, chalk 
and crayon on paper. So it's got a three dimensionality to the to the figure work, but it's all very muted and matte pastel colors. And then where the book really shines and where I think it gets its accolades is they have this intense use of dark and light on every page. And basically the use of light is what sets the tone and brings you back and forth from the happy to the to the fright to the frightening to the harrowing. Um, so it's a it's a stunning work, a, a wholly unique work, uh, and I'm fully on board. And I, I would I would have been a little pissed if the book ended this way and there wasn't a second volume. So I'm, I'm glad to see that there is a sequel coming um, because we don't get much of a resolution. We get more questions than answers. But uh, this is fantastic, and and this is definitely an all ages book. It's uh, the kind of thing that uh, as long as they're not, I wouldn't. I wouldn't read this to very little kids because it's certainly uh, much like the classic fairy tales before they were softened up. This is in the vein of it. It's, it's a dark and scary book um, w- without a happy ending. So, um, so I wouldn't read it to like wee wee little kids, but, but yeah, anybody that's uh, let's say, you know, eight, nine, ten, and up uh, perfectly fine to read it with them. And uh, it's awesome. And I have to say that um, kudos to first second, for um this packaging it is a beautiful it's not it's a little larger than what you would consider a digest hardcover uh it does have a dusk jacket um which i know not everyone's a fan of but i will say that uh, the dusk jacket has gold inlaid lettering and then if you take the dust jacket off it's a beige leather bound book and then you have a gold inset of the dam and pig. Uh, so it's a beautiful package, whether you keep the dust jacket or not. Uh, and uh, it was 19.99 cover price. I believe I procured it for $12, 11.99. And uh, just to put a final point on it, the, uh, the, in, the endorsement on the back is none other by uh, our boy, uh, Gene Luen Yang um, from American born huh. Chinese. So, he says it's uh, beautiful in every way. It's as a graphic novel can be beautiful. It's a true stunner. So, two huge thumbs up for the Dam Keeper Volume One from First Second. I'm looking at the art now. Hmm. Yeah, I want to check it out. I don't know. You don't like the art? I didn't say that. Nope. I, I I have to read it. You know what I mean? What I'm seeing is just cute animals running around here and i have no i have no context you know what i mean like i haven't seen any of the dark pages yet well then you need to keep reading yeah i see a pig and a and a fox and a and a hippo and a frog but i mean what i see is nice but i I need i don't know i want to see some some dark well and again when i say dark we're not we're not talking about gore we're not talking about of course not right but uh but yes cool had not heard of this. God's bless the the Eisners. Yep. So. And it's funny that you say you hadn't heard of it because you you just looked through previews and so you your mind completely skipped over it as I probably would have as well had I not um, already had it in my possession. It's like when you buy a new car, suddenly you see that model car everywhere on the road. Yep. By design. Mm-hmm. Yep. All right, Dap, what do you got? 
Uh, I got a first issue from actually I have a couple tonight, but the first one um, is one by Joe Keating and Walk Jin Clark. Uh, Tamara Bonvillain is your colorist, and there is a special credit uh, because there is a consultant on the book, uh, Ali Buzari, and it is called Flavor. And this is one of the image books where I was interested in the cover, uh, but I kind of dug the solicit, but I had no idea it based on what was said in previews. uh, I had no idea really what the book was going to be about. This is not, there is cooking involved, but unlike other um, graphic novels or or uh, or comics about food or chefs or the food industry or preparing food, the first issue, there's no recipe or anything. You're not going to read this and learn how to do anything, at least not yet. Uh, so I'm not real sure where the consultant comes into play, probably in subsequent issues. But basically... This first issue is just setting up the characters because the world that they're in is, I'm not going to say weird, but we're not, we're not quite sure what exactly is going on. And I'm cool with that because since this is new to me, I'm, there isn't anybody telling me what to expect, what lurks around every corner, what type of people there are in this city. Um, So I'm, it's the first issue, I'm lost right off the bat. So I'm hoping that the characters kind of show me the way. But the, um, your characters are, I'm going to say Ju, because it's X-O-O. Her wheelchair-bound parents, uh, her uncle Jeff, and her dog Buster. And Buster has very um Buster isn't Jake from Adventure Time, but he definitely uh has human characteristics. On the cover they show him uh chopping up celery. In in the comic they basically have um him steering the bicycle that he and Zhu are on at, at the start. Um, so he's not, this is a shadow from Homeward Bound. This is, and, and it's not Astro from the Jetsons. This is just that the, the, the dog doesn't talk. It just acts like a, a child in some cases. Uh, but we start off with um, Buster and Zhu on, on, on their way to the market for, um, for truffles because, um, their rooted truffles only ripen once every hundred years and they're in a limited supply. So she has to get there. She has to kind of cut the line in front of all the other chefs because, well, we're not really sure what she has in mind for the truffles just yet, but she, she leaps down into the market, makes her way to the stand. Unfortunately, um, some, I'm just going to call him an asshole. This dude, Niv, mm-hmm. throws um, 
Algiri peppers in her face. And, oh, damn. And, uh, yeah. So, um, it, because he just, he wants to get the truffles instead of her. Um, so he's like, you know, a single seed can burn for over 48 hours. Uh, unfortunately, an eyeful of just one can be deadly unless treated. And silly me, I lost count out of how many I cut your way. So he's he's just a complete dick. Uh, but he also says something that, you know, what I don't understand why you'd be coming for these truffles. What would an unregistered chef need with something so valuable? And and so we're getting little little snippets of of what type of place this is. Uh, and it all kind of starts to it, it's again I, I really appreciated not just have have caption boxes. It was it, it, I didn't open up to an Ohatmu and and I had little title cards telling me who everybody was and and what they do and where we are and what year it is and it, the conversations carry story tell you everything you need to know and uh, so that was a nice touch at least as far as some other things i've read lately and i, I just i i i appreciated not being hit over the head with it and just going along uh but then there are these dudes who show up and kind of they 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 stop niv niv ends up scoring some truffles along with a bunch of other chefs um and there are uh, basically officers, uh, but they look like they're carrying swords. They're almost dressed like knights, but they're wearing um, hoods that cover their faces. And uh, we're told that um, there's a statute that um, Algeria Peppers, for combat purposes, is in strict violation uh, of the... Um, Apiculous act of 1132. And so Niv is like completely, he's like, I don't, I don't know what's going on, but so they abscond with him. And Zhu just kind of goes about the rest of her day. She, she, she's going to shuffle off onto, uh, towards home. Uh, we cut to the train station where this, uh, this, Big dude comes out. This 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 tall, strapping young man comes out of the train, uh, where he meets uh, a small elderly woman, who we find out is this is Jeff. This is her uncle. So Jeff is coming home because Jew's parents are, of course, disabled, and he is here to kind of just because. Zhu left the the academy. She's she's an unregistered chef, and she is. D- d- there are certain um, rules, I guess, and and laws that are in place where, uh, at a certain age, you're supposed to, I guess, do something with your life and be a member of society, and and you can then live on your own. But because she is an unregistered chef and she's still living with her parents, she still needs a, a guardian. She still has to be looked after. Uh, her parents can't do it. So her brother, um, her father's brother, comes in to, to kind of help out. And that's when we kind of, we, we get a slight, it turns out that whatever, whatever is 
whatever problem her parents have, uh, she's telling Buster that if, if I had boiled the truffle, mom and dad could have, and then she's interrupted because uh, Buster starts barking because Mrs. T, the short elderly woman, and um, her uncle are coming up to the house. So no idea what the magical properties these truffles have. I don't, we still don't know what exactly is wrong with her parents, but um, she wasn't necessarily looking to make some exquisite dish with these truffles. So, so, so there was an ulterior motive. Uh, again, we don't, by the time the first issue ends, we don't know. Uh, so these are little things that I'm guessing we'll pick up as, as the series continues. But uh, there's a, um, there's a nice sweet little conversation uh, with the family between um, Jeff and his brother and his sister-in-law. And, and of course his niece, um, Mrs. T basically says, um, you know, the whole, the whole reason why Jeff is here uh, because per Jews parents request due to their daughter's age, the state has arranged for a family member to assist in a time of need, given the specific nature of their situation. We'll have to assess the effectiveness of said arrangement once every three months. If we see genuine improvement and affairs handled in a more expedited manner, we will agree to keep your brother as a caregiver for both you as well as your daughter. So, um, we're we're introduced to everybody and and learn their roles in in manner of a few panels. So, uh, it's it, this isn't a difficult issue, or from what I can tell, with the first issue, this this doesn't look like it's going to be a difficult thing to grasp. You can kind of just it, the first issue is really, I think, a um, really good first issue as far as I'm concerned. It's a uh, after. Um, after Jeff and and while Jeff and you are are taking care of the kitchen and uh, preparing their meals, we go back to what Niv has been up to, and it turns out that these uh, these guards, these officers, take him to the top of the wall. The the um, there is a rather large. I mean, speaking of Game of Thrones, there there is a very tall wall surrounding the entire city uh and they're at the top and niv is like okay well you know i get it you guys are just showing me we're all small parts in this big world right you know i've learned my place you know you you guys did a good job i i, I you know i've learned my lesson we're good and um the the guard's like no you, you got the wrong idea you're, you're not our prisoner you're our sacrifice and something Oof. Something grabs Niv by the ankle. We never see it. It's just this this long, it almost looks like very long strands of hair. But it comes out from beyond the wall, grabs Niv, pulls him off the wall as he's screaming. And that double page spread is the cliffhanger, if you will, of, at the end of the issue. Um, I I had no idea what to expect with this. This was, I, I didn't know if I was going to read it and just be like, okay, cool. And I gave it a shot. And, and, you know, I just, I saw that Tommaso had the cover. So I was like, you know, that, that piqued my interest. Uh, but after reading this first issue, I am definitely going to be reading the second. I kind of want to see, I, I, I'm digging these characters. I'm not so much 
the world we're in, I'm not. That's seriously just just a backdrop to me. I, I we like I said, we haven't gotten to anything as far as food goes, so I don't. I there isn't anything enticing in that regard just yet. Uh, but I thought the character setup was great. I, I, I really like Clark's art. Uh, it's, it's not too manga-esque. It's, it's cartoony in places, but there's a, uh, there's the, you understand the physics of this world. Everybody feels like they would actually, um, I don't want to say really exist, but they just, in, in this world, they do. It's not, um, it's not a couple of scribbles on, on the page. It's, it's, uh. It's a good look. The 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 look absolutely. The style is the style works. It's effective for the idea for the concept. Um, so yeah, you may have questions, but there's no. You, you definitely get the sense that they'll be answered in issues to come. I, I didn't uh, I didn't finish the issue going. Well, I I I'm still lost, or I don't. You know, I have no idea where we're going with this. It, it's because of how everything was set up. Uh, there's, I have no doubt that based on other conversations we'll have in the future with these characters or, uh, little scenes we'll see here and there that it will all be made clear. Um, and there's a conversation with, um, Joe Keating and, um, Ali Bazari where they kind of talk about how the book came about and, and, and their relationship and, um, I thought it was a pretty cool first issue. I, I if if you were on the fence, if you weren't sure about it, I, I I'd say give it a shot. If you're looking at it like some of the other chef cuisine books, you're not going to get that at least just yet. But um, I, I I I dug the idea. So yeah, and kudos to you because uh, when I saw that solicited, it it just didn't quite grab me. Okay. I, I didn't I didn't know um I just didn't know what to expect and. I would have never guessed that it's the kind of book that you just described. So I'm, I'm going to read it. Sweet. Mm-hmm. Look at that. You converted him. I converted him. Vince, we're bringing the uniqueness tonight. I hope you're going to do the same. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yes. I have something very unlike anything I've read in a long, long, long time. Um, the title is very cumbersome mm. and i haven't figured out entirely why they chose this cumbersome title um it's written and illustrated by inio asano published by viz in their um signature series with the french uh flaps and the spot varnish on the cover mm. i mean there's mm. no holes barred um very high production standards um, with one exception, the paper is pulpy. Um, it's a step up from from newsprint. It's it's thicker than newsprint, but it's still that that pulpy, very thirsty kind of manga paper, which I love. But um, the the cover price is only fourteen ninety nine for over. It's close to two hundred pages, and. Um, don't let the paper drag you down. I mean, I think this is the paper that the the Viz Select series they work in tandem with the uh, the original artists and writers and, and and illustrators. So this was probably chosen by the uh, Mister Inio Asano. It's called 
I don't know why. Dead Dead Demons DDDD Destruction Volume 1. <laughs> That's a mouthful. It is. It is. It's it part of me likes it because it's so idiosyncratic and so different and so against the grain, but if you wanted someone to revel in the same joy that you experience from reading something, coaxing them to read something called Dead mm-hmm. Dead Demons DDDD destruction is not going to be easy um however I'll, I'll, I'll let you in on the story it's amazing it's essentially the the a tale centered around a group of high school friends and there's two girls at the core of this group um the the main character her name is kadode koyama she's extremely smart but she's very unmotivated. Um, she should be studying for her college entrance exams, but instead of doing that necessary stuff, she plays video games, first-person shooters, um, with her best friend, Antan. And she just fantasizes away the events of, of everyday life. Everything is, is uh, a dream and a, and a, and a fantasy. And a, the, the waking world has... has very little attraction for this girl. Her mother suffers from depression, mm. so she wears the. Uh, this is this is uh, Japan now. So now, in addition to the traditional surgical mask that most or many um, Japanese people choose to wear for germs and, and the like, her mother wears goggles, protective goggles, and and she's she sits in in the, in the house in the dark. But there's more to it than just mere depression. Something happened on August 31st. Something that that shook the entire world. And I'll I'll get to it. But her mother's condition could have been acerbated by the paranoia generated in the wake of said event. Um, This event also could have impacted this little nuclear family that she had because her dad um who was fairly normal what we've seen of him in in this first volume fairly normal dude um just one day said uh, i'm going to work and kadoti says but but dad there's there's stuff going on he's like no no, no I'll, I'll be all right mm-hmm. I, I, I gotta get the <laughs> deuces I, I gotta get the uh the the magazine to press or or it seems that her father is in the arts the the mm-hmm. the uh the printing um visual arts to some capacity but he leaves and he never comes home i was right deuces yeah so the kadoti's future prospects especially for college not very bright you know so as a result whenever she takes aptitude tests or placement exams she doesn't give a shit she doesn't care because she's like i'm not gonna go to college anyway what the hell am i gonna take this stuff for and she's a cute little kid i mean well she's she's in high school so she's not really a kid but um you know she has a buster brown type haircut and she has glasses and the way asano he he doesn't complete very often the top arc of the glasses so when she's looking over them you see maybe a little bit on each side of the top arc of the glasses, but all you mm-hmm. see is her eyes coming through. And she has mm-hmm. huge 
soulful eyes. It is manga, so the eyes are a little big by default, but, I mean, Kadoti's eyes are, are giant. Um, but back to the fantasy world in which she lives, the this first volume of, let's just call it Demons, um, starts with a comic within a comic. Um, Kadode is a fan of Isobian. And what Isobian is, he's a mushroomian, citizen of the super civilization of the future. <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and this little dude, he's, he's, a, he's, he's a yellow guy with a mushroom for a head, Jesus. yellow body, and he's got a little, mushro- a little mustache, and he has like this, this pouch that he wears around him, but he's, he's a, from the future. And um, so he seemingly has magical pro- powers, but it's really just technology from the super civilization of the future, right? And, and he helps this little girl, Debiko. Um, this is the protagonist of this comic, within a comic. And this protagonist very much resembles Kadode in, in the, the other, the main comic, right? Um, so this girl, she doesn't do her, her summer homework and is so beyond gives her a brain bulb, this device that jumpstarts her brain and lets her do all her homework in record time and everything's happy, but the, uh, the bulb kind of breaks just when um, she was getting close to this, this boy that she likes and wah, you know, and a Sobian is aghast. But anyway, um, so the girl's a dreamer. She has Sobian toys all over her room. She's playing with the video games up all night. She's talking with uh, Antan about the games. Um, and her friend Antan is, I mean, I know that Kadode is the main character, but I like Antan more. Antan is a budding conspiracy theorist. <laughs> she, She's she, wonder why you like him. Yeah, she, she kind of sees pop culture um, and the the mindless drones that willingly devour it as she sees people as slaves, just consuming slaves. Um, the, there's a, a question that Kadode asks many people in this first volume. She says, what would you do if you could fly? And, and there's various characters in there that, that give their answer to this question. But, um, Antan's answer is, I'm not going to let anything get me down until I destroy this false and superficial world. Like, she doesn't want to fly. It, it, it would get in her way of saving the entire world from themselves. You know, I mean, she sees everything as just superficial, um, especially the status quo. Uh, there's a group of students in here. The, one of them's a braggart. Her name's Kiho. She relishes. Uh, engaging in the traditional boy meets girl routine, she has this this newfound boyfriend, and she she brags to her friends that she was up for hours texting him over song lyrics, you know. Mm-hmm. And Antan says, "Kadode, please murder her for me." Like the, it's so charming the interaction between all these kids, especially Kadode and uh, Antan. But the big picture with this. Um, first volume is August 31st. What happened on August 31st? Extremely significant event. It's the day the aliens arrived. Ah. Yes. There is a colossal mothership parked over Tokyo. This thing is immense. 
And initially, people they, people freaked out. Oh my God! I mean, this is mankind's first glimpse of an, another civilization, other than the one the ones on this planet. I mean, this is first contact, right? Um, the Americans like it, it brought the various nations together in a sense because it was a unified front. Like they, we have a common enemy now, just like in Independence Day, right? Um, and supposedly the Americans, that which would be us, created this weapon that debilitated the saucer or the mothership to the point where it's just parked over Japan now. And um, supposedly the, the U.S. weapon released A-rays that contaminated sections of, of Japan, but there's no evidence of that in in this in this manga i mean maybe it remains to be seen but the the the, the there's frequent news pop-ups and and social media interruptions and about the a rays and and just the whole legacy of everything that happened but i don't see any they don't show any contaminated i mean the the, the whole point of this book is yes here's this giant event in in mankind's history that should be this world-changing thing and life goes on as usual like it's three years after the original event in this manga kids are going to school you know and 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 when when they go to school it's with the backdrop of this colossal mothership in the sky um relationships are are started and there's a giant colossal mothership in the sky it's it's strange af um i it's there's there was one so the mothership has no purpose of like in the story that's what you're saying no it 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 frequently spits out smaller saucers and but these aliens are extremely ineffectual because um this little saucer you know comes down and this boy picks up a rock and and he hits Mm -hmm. it and the saucer kind of like jitters and falls into power lines and the kid downed a flying saucer with a rock. And on the news broadcast they say, Oh, the two aliens on board were 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 killed in the in the crash and we never get to see them. I don't think it's important right now. In, That's in what the, I'm getting at. Yeah, it's right. And and but it's it's in the back of everyone's minds, but it's not really a cause for concern. Like it's it's being handled. But it's not going away. But it's it's mm. it's it's like a scab that doesn't heal. You know, it's still there and you can feel it, but after a while you get used to the itch, right? And you, you just you just ignore it. Um, Kadode and, and Antan, they monitor social media for any info on the aliens. And, and the one that crashes, Antan's all over it. She's like, I'm going to go see this thing. I got to get, get in on there. And um, uh, Kadode says... No, Antan wants to see it. Kadoti says, I can't because uh, I'm going to Mr. Watarase's house. He's her teacher, and she has a crush on him, but he's much mm. older than her. You know, He's in his 20s. She's, she's a high school senior. Um, she borrows books from him, not so much to read the books, but to uh, just the interaction between the two. You know, I get to go to Mr. Watarase's house because... I get to pick up a book and I get to stay there with him for a little while. You know what I mean? Like, um, so, so, Aunt, uh, 
Kadote can't go with Antan, and Antan's kind of, you know, feeling some kind of way about it. But she doesn't say anything. And then Kadote sees Antan on TV at Mr. Watarashi's house. And, and she hits him, you know, she's like, oh, there's my girl, right? So she hits her teacher with the question that, what would you do if you could fly? And he's like, I'm an adult. We don't have time for that shit. We don't have time to think about what we would do if we could fly. There's work and there's more work and there's even more work and there's just no time for that crap. Why, you know, we don't, adults don't have the, the brain power to be worrying about that stuff, extra brain power. And he says, all right, smarty pants, what would you do if you could fly? And Kadoti says, well, uh, I would fly right to Antan because she makes everything better. She's essential to my life. And I think this series is going to be about the relationship between Antan and Kidode. I don't know where it's going to go. I don't know if it's going to be like a, a Hoppers thing, a Maggie and Hopi, you know, mm-hmm. thing. But the just the interaction between these two girls is amazing. When when Kidote says, you know, she's always been by my side when, when she answered the question of where she would... What would she do if she could fly? And there's a double-page flashback of the two of them as small children, hand-in-hand, just walking down a, a, a Japanese, a, a Tokyo side street, la-la-la, just singing, and, you know, they're, they're talking about Isobian. So they love this character since they've been little. And it's just, it's just quaint, and it's charming, and it, it's, there's, it, it's heartfelt, you know? Um, but I, I really don't know where it's going other than to fully develop these two young girls, the character of, of these, this, these two young girls. But I, I, I love it. Something about it. It just, it pierces that big brutish exterior. And it just, aw, I, I love these characters. But if the story wasn't so great, the, another joy is the art. The art is absolutely phenomenal. It's, um, like I said, Inio Asano, and the detail with which he infuses the backgrounds. Now, I don't know if it's his team, his assistants, or if it's actually him, mm-hmm. but there, there may be a lot of different people working on this book. Nevertheless, the, the, the backdrop is fully visualized, fully realized. It's just ungodly how much texture and detail and and just how many lines there are in this alien mothership not only that when he shows it hovering over over japan you see a good chunk of japan like it's just it's a lot of work and if he is employing the alex malieve technique he's doing it much better than malieve what do you mean by that well, Malieve uses Photoshop for yeah. for, oh, okay. for a lot of his back yeah. backgrounds, and mm-hmm. um, I can't, as an experienced Photoshop user, I cannot see traces of filters being mm-hmm. used. If he, if they are using, or he is, or they are using some kind of filters for these backgrounds, they're doing a great job because they're they're eliminating all of the traces. It's not mm. the stamp filter. It's not the photocopy filter. It's not a combination of the two. It's it's pretty damn amazing, um, and the perspective changes. It's not stock shots, 
You know, you, you get isometric views of buildings, big panoramas of 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 uh, the cityscape, insides of of um, you know apartments and coffee shops, and it's it's just phenomenal. But there there are a couple of set pieces in this first volume that I'm telling you, my jaw hit the floor when I saw the mm-hmm. alien mothership over Tokyo. But this is the the coolest transition in the entire book. Two of them are on the roof of a building, and there's a constant hum from this mothership. And um, they're talking about uh, Kadode's attraction to the teacher, and she's like, you know, did you ever show him your boobs? <laughs> and and Kadode says, it's it's not like that. And Antan says, seriously? And when she says seriously, there's a page transition. It says, dead, dead, demons, dee, 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 destruction. And it's formatted in a way where it's flush left. So you have the negative space with the two girls on the building left. That, that's where the two girls appear. In the negative space of the second line, dee, 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 you see the girls. Like fringe, the text is actually a part of this universe because mm. the camera does a 180 the text is reversed dead dead demons now it's flush right mm. but it's in reverse and you see the backs of the girls and in the in the background is the mothership it is an amazing mm. tra- transition yeah and I, I put the original japanese transition on um the 11 o'clock comics.com site for the uh, gallery accompanying this episode, I, I'm not going to crack the binding of my volume to scan the English. So you're just going to have to imagine or buy it, you know, what it looks like. Um, there's one clue. There's two clues as to where they could have been going with the title. The demon part. Obviously, there's no demons in this book. But when... Kadode was little. She reveals that the her her friends misinterpreted the kanji in her name as Monde, which they the boys reversed to Demon. <laughs> so that's one thing taken mm-hmm. care of. The destruction part, that's the game that they play. The video game is called Destruction. So okay. a couple of breadcrumbs just to understand what the hell they were thinking when they named it this. Um I cannot recommend this highly more 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 than I possibly can. It is amazing. And I can't do justice to the interaction of these two kids. It's so real and there's a pulse to it and it's the 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 cartooning, the the facial features on these girls, they're impeccable. You feel what they're feeling and it, it it's amazing. Yeah. Get it. Dead, dead demons, D D D D destruction, Volume One. We'll just call it. We'll just call it Kadote's story. Now it's a manga, so how many volumes are there? I have no idea. More than one, <laughs> probably. <laughs> it, it's a Viz Select, so I would say maybe. I don't know, maybe less than twenty. I I, I I didn't I didn't do any research on it because when I was I started to do research on it to pull the images for the uh, the episode and I was spoiled uh, for a future volume Ooh. so 
I'm done. I'm not researching this at all. Yikes. However many volumes it is, I don't care. I'm in. I'm mm. in. For, I'm in for the duration because, um, like I said, it's flabbergasted, gobsmacked, as Dap would say. There we go. Yeah, yeah gobsmacked. It's phenomenal. Phenomenal. Yep. Love it. Woof. We are bringing the weirdness this episode. I know, dude. I love it. We're pent up. What else you got? It's like a bunch of uh, lifers getting conjugal for the first time. <laughs> so or weird. so I've heard. <laughs> Can you hear me writing the show notes on the backing board? Not at the moment. We'll, we'll eventually go to one of our butamous patrons. Nice, but no. I'm doing it now. So oh, if you don't hear, hear you. if you don't hear it now, then you're not going to hear it. Boom. So what else? Come I on, can, now I can hear it. Now I can hear it. Okay. Yeah. Damn, you write as hard as you type. Oh shit! It's a sharpie. Why do you have to stab the paper with it? The, the one, board with it. One because it's a it's a sharpie that is on its last legs. Mm. Two, I'm drawing on the textured side of the backing board not the glossy side so i need to i need to put a little bit of pressure on there all right, all right. by the way talk about blast from the past your glossy made me think of mickey rossi i hey, uh, i became facebook friends this week with mickey and with kyle latino wow and uh since you never go to the other slack fence uh kyle mm. latino is going to be set up in artist alley at heroes amazing We'll yeah, be man. there. We'll be there. I know. I know. It's awesome. She certainly. I is. hope Mickey's doing well. I, I, he just he just friended me like as we were signing on for the show. I um, for those that don't know the name, he was uh he was one of the original logo creators. Well, you see his logo on the it's the text the yes. that we have on the Patreon um and the T-shirts. It is. It is true. It's, it is the logo of all of my the Goldie logo. Yeah, of all of my family's gear. Yes, so that's what it, they wear. It may be the only shirt that John um, owns. Oh, John, John Gordon owns. <laughs> because every is, God love him. A, every time I he think, takes a picture, he's he got our takes shirt on. A bunch of photos that day, and then posts them throughout the week. Yeah, that's awesome, though. I love seeing it. I, st- I you know, I mean, it's not. It's it's weird. It's not like it's. At, at first, I thought it might be embarrassing, but no, I it, it's it's touching. I, I'm humbled by it all. Beyond that, I used I used to be like, "Oh, there's our logo," but I'm like, "There's our logo." There's our logo, bro. Yeah, yeah. Let's get that because you know what? The more the merrier. That's right. We are family. Now let's talk about some comics. Let's get past yeah. this the stuff. Let's do it, man. What do we have? Are you reading that Hunt for Wolverine stuff? Yes. Uh-oh. I did I didn't, <laughs> I didn't like that answer. It's it's terrible. Is but it really? I, yeah, but I didn't expect any different. I mean, this is a cash grab that DC and Marvel do every time they have something like this. They put out a bunch of loosely cobbled together miniseries that really serve no purpose other than to get characters from the universe to partake in this grand thing in this case trying to figure out what happened to wolverine um there are four or five different series 
I've read all the issues so far. They're all Hunt for Wolverine. There's the Hunt for Wolverine, and then there's Hunt for Wolverine colon something, 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 <laughs> and three or four series like that. <laughs> the Hunt for Wolverine's um, colon. <laughs> I read much. that, yeah. Um, by the end of it, you will not have had to have read any of it. Um, Wolverine's coming back. We all know that. And I can't tell you that any of the issues stood out as being worth whatever it was that uh, they cost me. Wow. So, it hurts my heart, dude. No, dude. I mean, I, I honestly, I, this was one of those things where enjoyment is so much born out of preset expectation. I had no preconceptions about these being good. I, I assumed they were what every time this is part of the formula, you know, there's an event. So they put out, seven adjunct titles that are theoretically tied into the event, but but in reality, it's uh, just the most fleeting of connect connections between the event and the underlying character's existing arc. And that's what's going on here. They're fine. I mean, they're not... I, I, don't, I don't have any hate in my heart for them, but they're just total fluff and filler. One, so, of, one of them looks like a living dead type thing. There's like looks like zombies or something on the front of it. I didn't really give it a good look, mm. but it did not look like an X book to me. It was the one that came out today. I haven't read it, but the others, uh, none, none of that strikes me. The, the The overall premise is that um, for for people to care about how Wolverine comes back, for those that forget what happened, he was infested with a um, his blood was infested with something that took away his healing power. And uh, our recent guest, Mr. Ryan Stegman, drew that run of Wolverine. It was, they rebranded it, and it was a, uh, I always joke that Stegman has had the honor of drawing all of Marvel's main characters in costumes that they never wear again. Um, But uh, in this case, this was Exoskeleton Wolverine. Exoskeleton Wolverine, he was losing his powers. He, uh, as a result of that, his his 'er ne'er-do-wells, his arch nemeses, his villains all found out finally. And as you would expect, when you have as many enemies as he does, and they all find out that he's for once legitimately vulnerable, they come at him. And he he was going to be used for they were going to use him to create a bunch of um, other killing machines. And it's funny because that's probably been a storyline a thousand times. <laughs> <laughs> and in fact, it was just a storyline again with the um, thing that bore Weapon H, right? I mean, that was the same the same thing there with Weapon X turning into Weapon H, even while he was quote unquote dead. So it's not like that idea ever went away. But in any way, he sacrifices himself by pouring molten adamantium um, over himself and casing himself in adamantium. And it was supposed to be his death because, again, he was without his healing factor at the time. But... Of course, it's comics, so we all knew that eventually Statue Wolverine would become real Wolverine again, and that's what's happened. Something the the X Men have taken Statue Wolverine and put him in. Um, talk about on the nose! They put the statue in the old cabin. Remember when Wolverine used to have those Weapon X flashbacks before he got his memory back, where he would remember being in a cabin with Silver Fox. Yes. I, I don't know how steep you are in the Wolverine lore, but but he would always have those visions of, of being back in that cabin. And a lot of times the visions would turn into Sabretooth killing Silver Fox or and, and that whole thing. Well, for whatever reason, 
I guess the X-Men thought it would be quaint and clever to seek that cabin out and stick the Wolverine statue in it for safekeeping. <laughs> um, so, so then the Reavers, who are now for some reason out of work so they can't afford to repair themselves, decide let's go and steal the Wolverine statue because it's pure adamantium and imagine how much we can get if we sell all that adamantium. So the Reavers go and find the cabin. They go to break in to steal the statue. There are alarms set up appropriately. The alarms go off. The X-Men show up to fight. X-Men fight Reavers. They go into the cabin, and lo and behold, the statue is split into, folded over, and the body of Wolverine is gone. And that's the mystery. Where is he? Is he alive? How did he get cut out? So forth, so on. What could possibly cut him out? Oh, it's comics. I mean, <laughs> what could possibly make adamantium melt in the first place? If you have, if the science exists to melt adamantium and forge it onto a body or to turn it into a weapon, the science exists to melt it sure. or to break it open. Sure. But we, we, they haven't gotten to that yet. So now, I'm really curious. I, I'm really curious most of all about what, if anything, Marvel's going to do with the, with the 13 other Wolverines they have running around. Because since Secret War, we've got, we've, we've got the, the existing Logan's been dead, but we have Old Man Logan. Mm-hmm. who is a main part of many books now. He's, he's essentially a full-time X-Man, and he's been a sidekick to um, My Girl X-23. So you've got X-23, who's been going by Wolverine. Now she officially goes back to X-23 in the coming month in her new book. Um, you've got Dokken. You've got um, um, Howlett, uh, what's his name? Um, from uh, Howlett the blonde-haired Wolverine from the oh, Ultimate Universe. Ultimate X. Yeah, he's there. So you've got all these different versions of Wolverine running around, um, and and the, and the main one's coming back. So do they do they all stick around? Eh, probably. Now, uh, hopefully so, not. So the one that was in the statue, the one that that that, that died, mm-hmm. that's the one that appeared in the Marvel Legacy one shot that's showing up at the end of all the Marvel comics, looking for the characters of those books. Yeah. Okay, so so they're I mean, also. I assume. I I am too. That that that's my guess. So obviously, if that's happening present day, mm-hmm. then it was a while ago then that he busted out. Right. And... This is probably all interstitial. Okay. Happened somewhere in between the pages of type of thing. Like I said, it, it's it's it, it. Even if you're a Wolverine fan, all you need to know is that in a few months Wolverine is coming back. And little rant here. Um. Having just done previews, last month's previews, there was a solicit, and it uh, it it is not uncommon for Marvel, in particular, to do solicits where they hide something, <laughs> whether it be the creative team or they won't have a description. Yeah. They'll just have the name of the book, but they won't have a description, so they don't quote unquote spoil things. But in this case, last month's previews, there was X classified, no cover art, no description in the solicit, just. X classified number one with price and a code. Yep. Now I'm glad I'm not a retailer because I would have no idea on earth how many of those I would, I should or would pre-order, but whatever. Sometimes that happens. And then it's because they're getting ready for a giant announcement. And by the time the next month rolls around, it's been unveiled. The retailers know what it is before final order cutoff. No harm, no foul. Well, (laughs) this month in previews that we just all uh, talked about, or uh, we'll talk about, um, there's a solicit for X classified number two. Now, who in the fuck <laughs> is going to buy sight unseen pre-order the number two of a comic that I don't know the title, the cover art, 
the creative team or the premise. Why would I pre-order a second issue when I don't know anything no about idea. the first? Uh, no idea. So I suspect it has something to do with Wolverine because we've yet to get a solicit for the real Wolverine. Right. Yeah. We know he's coming back, but we don't know in what form or what his role is going to be or what have you. So I presume it has something to do with that, but still that that's pretty wonky. Why not just not release it until you're ready? Right. It sounds just like doesn't... Howard, the duck generated hype. Like they yeah. did back in the day, they shorted the, the print front of Howard, the duck. So the, the word would get around that it was hard to get. And Oh, speak, speaking of that, I, just a quick aside. Um, God, I forget the name of it. Maybe you got the new book by Mark Miller and uh, Olivia Quapel. Oh, that's um, the order, magic order. Magic, magic order, order. Thank yeah. you. It was announced this week that they will not be reprinting it. Yes. So, so no second, no second copies. No, because it's a very common thing, as we know, and I'm presuming most of our listeners know. Uh, a lot of books are, particularly uh, non-Marvel, non-DC books, have low print runs. And then if they're successful, they immediately go back to print again for second and, and or third printings. Um, that's pretty much standard fare these days. I'd say more books than don't go back to print, uh, especially for an image. But they announced, or Miller announced, that they will not be doing that um, to incentivize people to buy the issues and to pre-order. Whatever. Now, I love, I love the idea. Um, I have seen thoughtful counterpoints. Uh, Mario is one person that, uh, others have made similar points, but I'll credit Mario. He was the first one that brought it up and saying that um, while he agrees with my stance that it's for the right reasons, he also worries that if this becomes a thing, it will just lead to more and more uh, speculation where people will speculate on books because they're going to believe they're faux rare. Um, it's true. I, I, don't, I don't think one book doing this will have that effect. Um, I, I don't disagree with him if, if this just becomes the, the latest gimmick, much like multiple covers and variants and chase variants and that sort of thing. I agree that then that, that could be problematic to the health of the direct market, but just as a standalone, uh, I like the idea. I'm curious to see what it means. Um, and I, and I'm selfish because I did pre-order it. So, yeah. Oh, I did too. I just checked. Yeah, I did not. So. Um, do you, but in this age of, instant gratification i just downloaded a comic i didn't pay for who cares if they don't reprint it you, if you want to read it you can read it in a second and that's that's fair and the eventual trade you you can't tell me that mark miller is going to issue trades for this thing because that's where they make the big bucks no right but just like uh brubaker with criminal and the fade out the back matter isn't generally included Right. right, but that's smart. That's just smart. Right. You know, if you buy my yeah. fl- my my serialized comic, I'm going to give you extra stuff. But if you just want to read a story, we're eventually going to collect it in a book yes. where you can buy that. That's right. that's awesome. But to say mm-hmm. that, you know, oh, you better order because we're not reprinting any of these things. So what? I think, th- but what's different about this, whereas if, if Greg Rucka said this with, you know, the next Lazarus series or, or whatever comes out next, people be like, okay, you know, you, you got your, you have your hardcore fan base. that's going to buy those books. But with Miller, there's the whole Netflix deal now. So other, I, I know the whole mystical unicorn people who watch something and then run out to the comic book shop, but different eyes and ears 
may maybe tuned into something. So if You're they, right. yeah. so it, it's just, but it still, I mean, but then why, why limit it then? If, if, if this book comes out and then the Netflix series doesn't hit until after the sixth issue comes out, um, you know, someone goes to run out for it. If, if the retailer doesn't have any extras cause he only ordered what was ordered. I, I don't know really what the benefit is but it it's i'm sure you know, he's been doing this a while I, I i'm i don't think he's doing it to thumbs nose at people but it's this I, I part of me because of when we were reading and buying comics and we know what it was like to go for the back issue hunt um and we still do that i i oh, yeah. don't i don't dislike single print runs because it, that, that whole, because whether it's reprinted or it's a, re, a second or third printing or it's collected and printed, it's a reprint. And, and that original first printing, that's the one that's worth something. Unless it's, of course it's a rare second printing cover or, or, or a misprint, but yeah, I, I appreciate only going to print once because if you want it, now it's going to cost you. But again, in, in this day and age, we're, we don't. That was fine when you're chasing comics in the '80s and going back issue diving. This is where it, it's 2018. You can go to Comicsology. You can. There are other ways to get that same comic. So whether I I have the actual physical copy, that's only one printing, and and I have it, or I read it off my tablet again because it's it's the content that that's the important part it's it's weird I, I i appreciate kind of going for that one single printing because it it's maybe things will be different i, I don't know i don't want to say maybe things will be different but it's with technology and with other ways to, to get it, it you can't really you're not going to be able to go back in time. You can't, whatever we were doing back in the eighties, that, that's not going to work today. So um, it's cool that this one, there's only going to be one physical printing for the physical copy, but it, it's not, it's not going to be difficult to get the story. If, if, if you want to read it, but you saw yes. what happened when people started buying comics with hopes of turning a profit on them. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, no. And that was, and definitely, and again, though that's, but, but that exists right now. We just don't talk about it because none of us do it. Um, I get pulled into a little bit of that subculture because of my other dalliances. But um, you would be stunned at the amount of money that these variants go for. Oh, I know. I mean, Gabriel Gab, Gabriel Deloto does mm-hmm. variants for Marvel that are generally the, the the chase chase whatever that is. The I don't know if it's one in a thousand or what have you, and. They routinely trade hands for thousands of dollars. And we're talking about a book that just came out, like books that literally just came out of the stands. You're paying thousands of dollars for because it's got a cover that is hard to find. And I don't I'm reluctant to condemn that because I listen, I mean, we we all to be the level of fan that we are of this hobby. we, We certainly to the outside, I probably seem crazy in our own right. So to each his own, I guess, but but I do genuinely believe, for example, 
that the vast preponderance of art that's being acquired, even though prices are going up and up and up, um, I don't think it's going to go down, at least not much. I think it may stop going up for a long while, but I don't think it's going to go down. Um, I think these variants will be close to worthless at some point in the future. I, I don't certainly not what they're paying. There's no way you're going to convince me that Domino number one, because it's got a J. Scott Campbell on it, is going to be worth two thousand dollars in five yeah. years when people forgot that the series ever existed. Right. Just it's not going to happen. So there's craziness, but to each his own. You know, it is what it is. DAP twenty five seventy. Damn, bro. I can't believe it. Oh, does my heart. That's it's, awesome. It does my heart well. Sweet. Vince, my, yeah, FF52. Nice. I have a little bit of an update. You asked mm-hmm. me how many volumes this, uh, it's a Wikipedia page, so there's no spoilers. Um, since it's been serialized in, um, Big Comic Spirits since April 2014, it's gone on hiatus a couple times. Long story short, there are six volumes. Oh, I was published going to get sixteen. I would published in, in Japan to date. Um, but get this: the original, the tentative title was, and I'm translating, "Tender-Hearted Couple," which huh. is a hell of a lot better title than "Dead Dead Demons D D D D Destruction." Um, so yeah, so six with more to come. So you know you're in for six if you buy this first one. There you go. At least six. I uh, hope. To, I hope there's a hundred. Yeah. Yes, you do. Yeah. What else do we have? Can I shed a little love to Mr. Jim Rugsway? Sure. Indeed, you can. Uh, I did mention in on Patreon. I did some reviews of some free comic book day books. There was a Street Angel free comic book day book, which was dope. Uh-huh. It was about uh, our girl. Uh, taking care of a lost dog um, for a time. It was a great story. But uh, I am not here to talk about that. I'm here to talk about um, a beautiful treasury-sized hardcover from Image Comics called Street Angel Goes to Juvie by Mr. Rug and Maruka. This is, I believe, the second, if not the third, I think the second of the now, I believe, to be ongoing uh image hardcover collection of the street angel stuff. And it's, uh, it's great. You know, when, when, when we first, well, when I first, I think Vince was already aware of him, but when, when I first came across Jim's work early on in the show's life and fell in love with aphrodisiac, um, street angel was also in existence. And it always felt to me like the, um, redheaded stepchild of aphrodisiac in that I was so enamored and still am so enamored with aphrodisiac that, uh, I thought strange was cool, but it wasn't really my thing. But since Jim's focused on the character in the last few years, I've really come around to her. Um, because again, I guess what's an unintended theme of tonight, uh, it's fun when you read unique things because we do read lots of, nostalgia-based superhero books, and we like them, and we talk about them a lot. But they're not unique. It's it's hard for those books to surprise us. Um, but stuff like this is unlike, just, just like everything else this week tonight, unlike anything else I read. And um, what's super cool about this is uh, Street Angel gets 
sent to uh, prison, juvenile, and she's sent to Alcatraz Jr. And it's just not at all what you would expect because she is having a ball. For her, it's like going to Disney World because the premise, of course, is that she's homeless. So for her, getting sent to jail is the greatest thing that's ever happened to her. She is grinning ear to ear. Everybody is looking at her like she's insane, but she's loving it. She loves the bed. She loves the clothes. She absolutely loves the food. Pretty much the book is largely about how much food she's eating and eating all of the other inmates' food and how she thinks it's the most delicious stuff ever. And she's just gorging on it, and no one else can be- can fathom that she enjoys eating this stuff. But to her, it's mana from heaven because she generally doesn't get food because she's homeless. Um, and because they have her take shower and clean herself up, uh, the big bads in the prison don't recognize her at first. And they're all set to start some ish with her. And then suddenly... They realize who she is. So uh, it's another amazing chapter in the Street Angel uh, book. And one of the things I, I dig about Rug uh, and Maruka is that they're always playing with genre. He loves to mix genres when he's doing this character. Um, and generally, Street Angel books are some type of narrative that wraps around a giant fight scene. I mean, that, that's basically the conceit. In this book, I'm trying to think. I don't think she fights. I don't think she fights at all. There are fighting. There's like prison fights, but I don't think she participates. And um, it's, yeah, it's great. It's great. And and all the while, one of, there's a costumed, um, a costumed vigilante who is imploring her to send her the letter, quote unquote, and she's not doing so. And he's getting more and more frustrated and you see him at his home pacing and then drinking and just getting more and more uh, frustrated and um, there's a surprise in what the letter actually is that uh, gets wrapped up in the end when when uh, our favorite uh, skateboarding homeless ninja um, makes her way and escapes from Alcatraz. So uh, these are badass. You know, I know there was some question from some people about the value proposition because in essence it's a comic book of content, but it is oversized and it's hardcover and it's 1999. So admittedly, you have to be a big enough fan of the work that you treat this almost like an art book because on a per page price book basis, it's, it's pricey. It is definitely pricey even with the discount, but because I'm a freak and because I love the character and because I love continuity, um, I now have to buy every one of these hardcovers because I need to have them all lined up on my shelf together. So I'm in, um, but it's, 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 it's wonderful in that it's different than any other street angel story I've read, um, which is saying something. So he flipped the script. Yeah, he did, right? Yeah. He's yeah. he's pretty amazing. Uh I I think there there are a few people that are making comics these days like Tim Rugg. Oh, definitely. And and he as he always does, he spends as much time with the design yeah. of the page and the the uh the inlays like the in the inlay cover of the book. Um there's a post-it note there's uh, a police etching of of her, right? There's her um, there's her arrest card, and and her name is is Finley Farts McGee because it's a big <laughs> name. There's a yeah. there's cut out articles of of uh, vending machine ninja strikes again, explosion at Pangea Lab. So and there's another arrest thing where it's her with a mustache, and her name is Johnny Manchez. It's just funny. It's just funny stuff. And she was arrested that time for stealing 17 pounds of Halloween candy. Um, 
it's just wonderful. It's a wonderful creative outlet for Jim. And uh, I, I sincerely hope these are doing well. They must be doing well enough because I know this is, I'm pretty sure it's the second one released, but I'm also pretty sure there's been three solicited. So it's got to be doing, somebody's got to be buying them. I sure hope so. Mm-hmm. You and Cole Miller. Me and Cole Miller. That's right. Shout and out me. to Cole. And Vince. And me. And, and Vince. Yeah. All right. A couple episodes back, three maybe, we gave yeah, so. some homework. We said, I said, y'all got to read this first issue because it's amazing and we all got to talk about it. And Dap jumped to the challenge. Challenge. Jason, um, you know, he was a little reluctant, but he read read it. He read it. Why Um, did you say I was reluctant? I read uh, it instantly. Okay. Um, Dude, you're so frustrating. And then earlier today, you're like, (laughs) I'm going to talk about this manga, but you're something you would have hated. And then you explained. I say for a week, you're wonderful. And then then he schooled me with a GIF or a a JPEG. No, I schooled you with a list of. Female, which I already knew, which I already, Mm -hmm. yeah, mm, yeah, side eye. Um, (laughs) (laughs) This is called Season of the Snake, number one, from Titan Comics, written by Sergei Lehman, who uh, is the creator of the Chimera Brigade. I did not know that. Uh, Illustrated by Jean-Marie Michaud, covered by Simon Roy, from Profit. Um, and it's published by Titan Comics, which I said. Now, this thing is not... There's no easy entranceway into Season of the Snake. I think the story... I hope you guys will agree with me. The mm-hmm. The narrative is very dense and very complex. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. But we are um, introduced to one Derek Finn who's uh, first day on the job, boop, 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 walking up to the to the lift that will take him to intersection 55 because he is going to be a servo, a civil servo. Um, what is intersection 55, you ask? Hmm. It's known as the flux zone. It's like a hub of galactic transportation. There are these things, there are chutes that are connected to other points of the galaxy and beings get in the chutes and they are transported to their destinations but um when you arrive in intersection 55 you must remain there for 100,000 seconds 100,100 seconds did i get that right yes roughly 28 hours roughly um, because I guess the the matter transformation from you being shunted across this chute does something to your physiology that you have to remain in a in in within the bounds of this intersection for roughly twenty eight hours. Um, so that's where the servos come in. They accompany their um, clients for those 100,100 seconds. They're basically nannies, guides, um, uh, travel agents, 
uh, cruise director like Julie on the Love Boat. You know what I mean? They they talk to their their clients. They spend time with them. They basically watch over them for the period that 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 period in which they have to expend until they're well enough or whole enough to go on their their way right is that what you guys got out of it mm-hmm. okay so the problem is Derek Finn is living in the shadow of his daddy who was also a, a civil servo who was a major civil servo and he also happened to have set himself on fire in the intersection he went out in a blaze of glory so to speak nobody knows why but he's he's a legend among these the workers at intersection 55 um got to be some reason to to light yourself on fire but as of the first issue we we don't know what that is right. some someone was supposed to mentor Derek Finn uh, a man named Gordo Jagger uh, scheduled to meet him there on the on the first day, but Gordo goes missing, doesn't report for work, which is nuts in light of this very fastidious and regimented culture. Like, these people are on the ball. Um, everything is very cold, very clinical, very by the book. Um, there's uh, huge attention being paid to schedules and and probably spreadsheets. Um, and, and, and things like that. Like they're very, very regimented. Um, and the color art reflects that the opening, I don't know how many, whatever pages of the book are all done in cold blues and grays. There's, there's not any warm colors at all. And that's by design. Um, so you, you get to see Intersection 55 and all the inner workings and the, the hierarchy. You have Chief Hauer, who's at the top, and, and he's in charge of all these dignitaries coming in, making sure that they have servos to to expend that time with them. And um, So Gordo doesn't show up. And it's crazy because there's a saying that these people have pragmatic as an engineer, laconic as a warrior, Stoic as a server. They're unflappable in the line of duty. And this guy just doesn't show up for work. Mm-hmm. Something's going on. Um, so enter a young woman who's been working at Intersection 55 for roughly two years, Rhea Davenham. And she offers to, you know, show Derek around. But again, there's it's a measured uh, acquaintanceship. It's not even a friendship. Like these people, they interact, but it's it's kind of cold and distant. You know, um, there are beings in this universe called galactics, and that's where the problems begin. Um, galactics, from what I can get or glean from this first issue, they're super powered beings, aliens, and. Um, one comes to the intersection. Her name is Diane Bendix, an average name for a very unaverage woman. Um, if any of you have read Rampaging Hulk, the magazine, back in the day, she kind of looks like Barit. Mm. Does, mm, that's does, true. I hadn't made that. Doesn't she? That's true. Mm-hmm. Yes. Without, without the goofy hands and feet. But, mm-hmm. um, but this, this woman is very powerful and very pregnant. 
She's going to spawn. And so this has been translated from a uh, French band dessinée. So nudity is not frowned upon. Um, When when, um, Diane comes to the intersection, she's so bloated with milk from being pregnant. Like her breasts, they're popping out of her out of her bra and like nipples you see nipples all over the place but it's it's not a thing you know it's not done to titillate it's done to illustrate that this woman is very very pregnant to the point where she's spilling out of her clothes that once fit her um and there's not much clothes it's just like a well think barit she's got the fin on her head and everything um so that's one star sentinel um Diane Bendix. She's a galactic. There's another galactic that comes. Um, his name's Talisar the Armorian. He's encased in an armor shell. Kind of like a, an ambulatory chrome iron lung. Um, you don't see a face. You just see eyes and a mouth behind this. Uh, it looks like a diver's portal on the like yeah. a, a diver helmet type thing. Uh, on this chrome exoskeleton, there, there are, there's meat inside, as we'll see, but we don't get any indication of that initially. Um, and Talisar is secretly in, in love with Jagger's wife, Sherry, who is also a servo. Um, this guy recently poisoned the Formic worlds, and you have no idea what he's talking about until... Somebody else shows up, and there's people traipsing through the. It's it's a Grand Central Station in space, for space kind of. Um, th- this insect, uh, a anthropomorphic insect called Mediator Jarmel of the Formic Worlds. He arrives. This is Finn's first client, and Spin, Finn is spending some time with him, and he's like th- this this insect is directly connected to the the queen it's a hive mind type situation where uh jarmel speaks for the queen he doesn't speak for himself he never uses the word i or he never speaks in the first person um he he exists just to relay information for the queen which is however many light years away um mediator jarmel is of the formic worlds and he hates Talisar for what he did. They, I guess he spread the equivalent of DDT among the Formic worlds, and he he killed untold number of of members of this hive mind type insect culture. So Yarmul hates him, and when he sees him, he freaks out. He he attacks him and starts ripping. He pulls off the top of the exoskeleton. He starts ripping the flesh and shit out of there, and it's. And like I said, everything was cold and blue and gray. But when this happens, everything turns into bright, full-spectrum color. I mean, it is vivid as hell, right? Yes. It's nuts. There's blood flashing all over the place. And, um, but, but what I didn't tell you is that there's some kind of weird propaganda going on. Um, this cryptic, occult, snake-themed propaganda. Um, there's there's very various sayings like true life is the thing that seeps, um, memory is an ill-healed snake bite, and snake-themed propaganda is infusing this station, and nobody knows what to make of it. 
because it's against the norm. Um, long story short, there's savage race memories that have been buried by this culture that take the form of a snake. And it's not so much a snake. I don't, I'm not sure if the snake is actually a literal snake or if the snake is a symbolic thing to depict the rage and that primal anger that these people have buried mm-hmm. for, for so long. Like they, they are, they are quite, it's like the Brits in space. They're, they're, they're quite proper and everything is, mm, you know, above board and by the book. And, and when, um, there's a sequence where, um, Diane Bendix and, uh, Gordo's wife are, um, in a situation where um, something happens, and and a native goes full color, and he and he starts speaking with the uh, the 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 propaganda about the true life is the thing, that, and just shit hits the fan. People start fucking like like um, no way, just my balls, like Matrix number two. Yeah, di- yeah, really, the dance secrets in Matrix Number Two. The only damn thing that, <laughs> whatever. I hate that movie. It's so bad. Talk about disappointing. It sucks. Yeah. But so Derek and and Rhea, they start bumping uglies, and she's ripping her clothes off in full color, and he's uh and they're into it, and then the the rage passes for whatever reason, and the color is extracted from the narrative and everything goes back to the cold and she's she's covering herself up she's like turn away don't look at me like we were just we were just sharing bodies for a second now you don't want me to look at you and and he doesn't know what went on and the same thing with with mediator yarmul when he attacked uh talisar he he went full color and he he knew what he was doing but it was instigated by this primal rage that came from somewhere and this is only the first issue and there's mm-hmm. so much going on. Like I'm leaving a whole bunch of things out. There's a, a genetically modified organism called a, a, a vitless pathophilia, which is a, a, a pathogen, a parasitic organism that preys on tea plants. And there's a bar. I mean, it's, it's an intersection. So there are many food and drink stands, but this, at this one bar tea is, is made in this, this black, vine starts oozing out of the out of the tea snake like again the the concept is hammered home in many different ways in this thing it, the, it comes out of the cup and but Derek has seen it before and he knows what it is it, so this organism preys on emotion if you freak out you're going to make it stronger and he's just like it ain't no thing just ignore it mm-hmm. it'll, and it'll die and it does but it pops up later on in a in a situation where the people that see it are definitely going to freak out and it's left till the second issue to what happened there but backstory is thick and chunky i mean there's there there's a a mythology to this thing that they're they're building in the first issue that it, it's it's amazing did you guys enjoy it i did i gave you shit uh i was fronting with you all day but um it, so real talk when when you said to read it um i acquired it and then immediately saw visually that it was going to be amazing um 
it's it's of that school, that Bon Dessine mm-hmm. uh, Mobius school, hyper hyper detailed, hyper complex. The that amazing mix of organic and mm-hmm. and technology. Yep. Um, so I, I so visually I knew it was a home run. Now, full disclosure, the day that I set out to read it, I just don't think I was in the mood for a meaty thing that was going to be a little obtuse. And I probably read the first 20 pages and just felt myself zoning out and just basically leafed through the rest of the book, just almost like a picture book and thought, Oh, I don't know. This is a slog, but it was just because of just probably the mood I was in. So I went back, I don't know, three, four days later and in a much better mindset, perhaps thankful because I knew what I was getting into Uh nice glass of wine down in the great room. And then I sat down and read it proper from the beginning and I liked it 20 times more. Yeah. So it's, it's really dense. It's, it is dense. And I think yeah. you, sometimes you have to be in the mood, just like sometimes you're in the mood to, to watch a sitcom. Sometimes you're in the mood to watch a horror movie. It's just, I it just wasn't in the mood. Sure. And you know, I often, I wonder, I wonder when I have moments like that, how often our <laughs> reaction to any book is prefaced by just whether we're in the mood to read that particular type of book. In the oh, moment. sure. I mean, oh, I would, I would guess at least 50%, probably more. Yeah. Right. I rarely though ever go back. You, usually because we have so much to read. My Regina is decades long. I, I don't, the book is somewhat at the, at the mercy of what mood I guess I'm in. <laughs> right. You know, I, I rarely go back and revisit something to see if it was just my mood. But to compare this, um, now if, if you had to, to, thrust this book into a genre it would be science fiction and yeah. I'm, and i'm not talking sci-fi like if right. if you want to pull forrest ackerman's you know classifications of of sci-fi and sf mm-hmm. sci-fi is more like space opera um you know stainless steel rat stuff like that sf is more asimov frank herbert like the real dead like philip k dick uh yep. william, william burroughs this is science fiction I mean, there are things in here, concepts that are based on on real things. It, it's not let's hop in the Millennium Falcon and do the Kessel Run, which Star Star Wars is sci-fi. It is. No, you don't agree with that. I, I I'm with you so far. I don't. Were you okay. waiting for us to disagree? No, I was yeah. just because the, mm-hmm. there are, there are various slices to this genre mm-hmm. we love so much, and. This is the more hard-edged science fiction. So know that right. before going into it. It's not... The, I mean, there are moments of action. There are some Starship Trooper moments in this thing, you know, sure. that that are visceral and gritty and, and, and just like, whoa, I can't believe that got so bloody. But at the, the heart of this thing, it's science fiction proper. Real hard science fiction. Mm-hmm. And uh, man... Um, I, I, I love the fact that it's being released in single issues, but you know, when they collect, I think it, and they're oversized issues. What was it? 56 pages for this issue? Something like that. Yeah. yeah. Something like that. When yeah. they collect it into the hardcover, it's going to be a much more satisfying read, I think, because the gap between issue one and issue two, I'm going to forget half of the shit that I just read. Plus this is probably... Ooh. weekly because it, it, the first issue there's like what there's like three or four different there's three parts so this wasn't this 
this was three separate chapters crammed into one issue. Right. Um, this it, it's it's pretty. It there there's eye candy, but the you're rewarded if you read it. There, there there's there's a lot of talking mm-hmm. going on, but but there are things here where if you just if you just look at the pictures and you flip through it and you kind of just glance at some of the conversations and and think you know you'll yeah you get from point A to B and and you you, you get the gist of basically and who all the characters are and see what they do, but you have to. This is. This is an issue. This is a series that that you kind of have to pay attention to, and yeah. it the highest compliment I can give it is that this made this this transported me back to when I was buying heavy metal off the stand. Shit, mm-hmm. yeah, sure, absolutely, mm-hmm. definitely, I can see that. Mm-hmm. This, I loved everything about it in oh, that regard. It's it. just this oh, it, this mm-hmm. hit. Hit my hit that spot, and, and you know what? And we've I've enjoyed. I still have to read uh, Mickey Woodcock, but I've I've enjoyed. Don't bother. Um, I, well, see, that's what I was saying. Like, everything I've read so far from Titan, I've enjoyed. Um, I'm really looking forward to the explain. I'm looking. I, I I'm enjoying this. We enjoyed Beautiful Death. Um, so there, I, I have not read the 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 free comic book day Doctor Who issue that that, that Jason reviewed, but um, <laughs> I've I've you know Titan hasn't stood me wrong yet. So um, and even even if I I'm not thrilled with the girl who handcuffed Houdini, at least that first issue cover with with with. I mean, get it. Oh, is, covers is, are great. Or yeah, yeah. The, yeah. So I'm not. I'm not. I'm not too mad at it. Dino but. does a cover mm-hmm. for issue four. It's the insides that are not good. But, okay. Yeah. Well, let's not bring it. Down. No, we don't want that. Right. Yeah. There's also some Windsor McKay going on in this. Absolutely. In this thing, because there's a sequence where, um, it it's it's almost. I don't want to say steampunk because that conjures a lot of instant kind of. Uh, concepts that this story mm-hmm. doesn't have, but they they tra- a lot of the travel in Intersection Fifty Five is done with lifts, and the lifts are traditional pulley and or cable and and you know motor lifts. Uh, there's there's not a whole lot of what's there's not seemingly a whole lot of automation being done here other than there's something pulling the cable at one end which lifts the the carrier to the destination i mean it's as simple as it's you know crossing a bridge um but there's a double page sequence where some characters are infected with the rage and they're full color and the lift is muted grays and blues and and you know washed out colors and they're long vertical panels like Windsor McKay employed and the lift is going up and you see you know there's a progression that you see and the characters that are hanging onto this lift are in color and there's an altercation and it's just um well I don't want to give anything away but there's something that happens and it's just you watch the progression of this lift go up the panel as it the sequential art progresses and it's amazing and it, and, and it's straight out of Windsor McKay Little Nemo. Mm-hmm. 
It's so good. But Dap, I, I, I have to completely agree with you. This would fit seamlessly within the first maybe three years of heavy metal. Yeah. 78 to, to maybe 80. 77 to, to 80 around there. If if I have any nit, it's that it's it's not formatted for the American comic book page. No, it's not. There's a little there's a little bit of air top and bottom. Yeah, um, I don't mind that. No, I don't. I don't mind. You can still read it, and and if you, it's it's easy enough to read, and and everything still gets. You can make everything out. It's just um, there's. I, wa- I wonder if the trade will be formatted for the original aspect ratio. If we might have to wait for the Beautiful Death collection to come out to see right. if it's right, um, but I mean even even Tree Beard. I mean everybody who shows up in this is just it. There's just so <laughs> much Tree Beard. I I I love shout out to Kelly Williams. Yeah, yeah right. Um, I I love the color. I love the 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 look. I mean even even when the uh, even when Mediator. Jarmel shows up and he's he's you know in the trench coat with his little with, with Jason's parasol. It's just it it looks unheard of, dude. Fantastic. It's <laughs> just, it, <laughs> my man, I love you so much right now. <laughs> I have so much hate in my heart right now. <laughs> Balancing each other out. That's great. Um, no, I just I mean things that like you wouldn't think, especially when you see the first page with the four panels. Stop laughing, bitch. <laughs> With 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 the four horizontal panels and 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 setting, introducing you to Derek and you see things like that you wouldn't expect to see, you know, like uh, the characters from Apocalyptico later on in the issue. It's just they're just things that that, but it all works. So you can't you cannot go in with any preconceived notions when you read this. It's just it, right. it's it's a beautiful piece of work yeah and uh, and um it's published under the titan static press banner um i would love to know who's curating this stuff because they have an eye because they are killing it with these these uh appropriations from uh bandesine or wherever they're getting them from uh they're um they're mostly a beautiful death was french too so yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Chris Thompson. Right, whoever is picking these, choosing these, they have impeccable taste because this is so far. This first issue is masterful. I mean, I I haven't. This was probably the most enthused and energetic I've been from the books that arrived in the box that this first issue came from. Mm-hmm. You know, like you always pick your favorites. And looking back, all the books that I read that came out of the box that this season of the stake number one paled in comparison to this thing. Uh, it was five ninety nine, or was it six ninety nine? Six ninety nine. The cover price was. So it may be it may be sixty four, sixty eight pages. Um, and I think there's three issues, two or three issues. I don't know. I ordered them. The pull list feature. Bang. I'm getting them. Unski. But yeah. Uh something about Titan. Uh, well, I mean we're, a new we're, Valiant. We're we're Dude. approaching the sixth month of the year. It's not too early to start thinking about your eleven o'clockers. 
You, I you ain't lying. Definitely see Titan becoming if if they're going to definitely be a runner up if they are not Vince's publisher of the year. Well, they got it last year. I gave it to and, them, and that yeah. and that was before we had. Well, that's because yeah, you added the beautiful death for whatever reason. But I did. Now that yeah. we 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 have you know, even more things from them uh, that we've enjoyed this year. Um, yeah, I I can definitely see it happening. Yep, the one stumble with Minky Woodcock does not erase the fact that they were my publisher of the year. Right. Yeah, that book is not good. I'm sorry. <laughs> Well, I guess the patron's going to get it. Maybe I'll try to read it. Speak on it. Not good. All no. right. Hey, everybody. Whoa. Whoa. Oh, oh wait, wait. You got right? some, you you got some what? mouths? Dude. What happened to... Oh, boy. I was going to go long. He did say that. He said, I have a feeling it's going to be a long one. Because he had, he says, oh, I got all the manga. He said... Yeah, now that he got his two book. long ones out, he's like, all right. He's like, oh, I, right? I have, an, I like, have another right? long one. I can, get, I, can, I can get into it. You said I got all the manga. You said one book. You talked about one book so far. But, you know, and like Jason said, we've had two weeks of interviews. We haven't talked about things lately. So we right. got, we're, while we're Jason, While Jason talks about him, I'm going to go over to my reading stand right over there. You can't see it, but I'm pointing to it. <laughs> Your lectern? And I'm, and, and I'm going to grab a couple books. So, Jason. I love how you, I love how you assume that I'm going to talk about something you either haven't read or don't want to listen about. Well, no, that's, I'm not implying that, how long does it take me to walk across the room? Maybe four seconds, five seconds? I know, but you didn't say what you guys talk about or what dad talks about. You're like, well, Jason says, talks about something that I don't want to hear about. I'm going to go take our business. Sweet baby Jackson. (laughs) No, I'm only friend. Um, So I'll just, um, I'm going to, I'm going to keep it quick. I want to talk about two, um, two, well, two, two arcs that were recently released in trade. I read them in singles, but uh, I want to mention them now because you can pick up the trades. Uh, and that is uh, another recent guest, Mr. Jeff Lemire, uh, the second volume of Royal City, which is issues six through ten. Um, volume two, Sonic Youth. Uh, in this arc, uh, it continues to this is this is a book with them feels. It's it's going to tug at your heart. <laughs> this is not a book you want to read if you're feeling down about things. Um, but in in this arc, we go back to 1993, and it's essentially, instead of a day in the life, it's a week in the life of Tommy Pike. Uh, and for those of you who don't remember our discussion about the first arc, Tommy is the deceased sibling of the Pike family. And in the first series um we in the first arc we we come to meet the rest of his family in the modern times and uh they all have well they have varying degrees of fractured lives but what they do have in common is they all are haunted by their brothers their brother or son's death and in in many ways they each see him almost like a ghost or an apparition uh in different versions so the sister sees him when he was a young innocent boy. The older brother sees him as a teenager. Uh, the mom sees him as the successful collegiate that he never becomes. You get the picture. Um, in this, we, we, we start unpeeling or peeling back the layers of the onion as to what led up to Tommy's death. And you start, if you're intuitive at all, you, you, Jeff gives you enough to get a hint at the kind of, 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 
the series of circumstances that would have led to all of the family being haunted by his death beyond the the obvious i mean look if if you lose a sibling or you lose a child it's going to be haunting but why in this particular case it was even more tragic than that and um we know that tommy has has some kind of head trauma he's prone to debilitating migraines uh at inopportune times he likes to sketch and he sketches often this idea of a radio tower embedded in his brain going off um he goes to see the doctor and, and there's something in his brain. It's some kind of dark spot, which can often mean a tumor. Um, although it's not explicitly stated in, in this arc, what it is, but the doctor sees something in, in the scan and he's concerned about it. Um, but we also see Tommy interacting with each of his family members. Um, and you can see how, if things go the way I think they're going to go, each of them would have their own version of guilt and feeling of blame for his death. So, uh, as I said, this is not feel good comedy drama. Uh, it is an emotional roller coaster uh, about the Pike family. Um, it, the, the, the Pikes live in an industrial town that is now, as with many industrial towns in 2018, struggling to uh, find a reason to exist. Um, it's run down. They've lost a ton of uh, the population to other places because the jobs have dried up. Those that are still living there now are faced with lots of closed up shops and lack of commerce. And it's a struggle. The mom is trying very desperately to uh, get a new megaplex type of business center and recreational center built, uh, which would revitalize the town. But uh, others are against it because it would mean closing the factory that is the lone last bastion of the industrial economy. And it's where her husband works and where other members of the family work. So there's just a lot of um, family drama in this book with a bit, just a, just a hint of supernatural overtones in the form of Tommy, because we don't yet know if Tommy's ghost is legitimately haunting each of them, or if it's just Jeff's visual uh, representation of what's going on in their minds and the guilt that they feel. Um, I would say that um, for those of you that have spouses or significant others who aren't into comics, but you want them to get into comics. This book is the same kind of emotional complexity and the emotional ride that this is us. The TV show is like, so I would imagine lots of you listening have significant others who adore. This is us because the ratings are so good. I assume almost everybody likes the show and you could sell them on Royal city by saying, Hey, it's a comic. That's kind of like, this is us. So if you're looking for a gateway drug, for someone, I think this could be that if they uh, if they dig that show. But uh, it's powerful stuff. It's it got immediately compared to Essex County because that was Jeff's breakthrough work and it was set in a rural town and, and Jeff has gone back to that setting from time to time. But it's much much different. This is a much much different book, different time period, different genre. Um, the family dynamic is 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 front and center here, whereas in Essex County it was a much lonelier book. The family dynamic was more in the background. It was more about a boy and his his dealing with life and, and his imagination and loneliness. So um, it's another grand slam. I mean, look, there's a reason why Jeff is nominated yet again for an Eisner for Best Writer and Best Writer Artist. Uh, I think this is his fifth or sixth nomination. Uh, and I think he won two years ago. So no, and he won last year for Black Hammer. So he's he's won multiple yeah, Eisners yeah. for different work and um, deservedly so. Again, we had him on recently. We talked about a lot of this stuff. 
but uh, it's it's super badass. And then the other arc that I wanted to mention, uh, which has been sitting on my Slack, having read for a while now, and uh, it just it needs some love. And that is the second arc, uh, or in this case, you can get it in a trade paperback of uh, the Black Monday Murders by Jonathan Hickman and uh, Tom Coker. Um, recall this is a book where, in essence, the concept is that money and mana are power. They are God. So just as we one time worshipped gods of thunder and gods of lightning and Judeo-Christian gods, uh, there's no greater God than than money in our world. And um, for you Neil Gaiman American Gods fans, it's that same kind of concept, right? That anything that we as humans place value and power on is imbued with godlike power. And in this world, um, it plays into it's, it's Jonathan giving life to the nutty conspiracy theories that pervade the dark web. Uh, this idea of the Illuminati and this idea of these specific sets of families that theoretically run the world from behind the scenes. That's basically what this book is. And a couple of innocent people, including a homicide detective who is trying to solve a grisly murder, uh, are brought into this vast conspiracy and quickly realize that there's truth to it. Um, but this is definitely a story that is evolving. It's intended to be a longer form story. Uh, in the second volume, we get to know the detective more. We get to meet the god of money. Um, which is super badass because basically they have to go to the Federal Reserve. And rather than going upstairs to meet the Fed chairman, they go downstairs to meet the real chairman, who is Mana, who is uh, or Mammon, Mammon rather, the, the god of money. Uh, and it's a gruesome, it's a grisly, it's, a, it's, it's, it's visceral, it's, it's uh, gory, um, it's angry, it plays on the... The, the idea of what it's like to have money and the power that gives you and what it's like to not have money and um, the weaknesses there. And there's a grand conspiracy, which is to say that the 1987 stock market crash, um, which most of you listening probably lived through in some form <laughs> or another, um, was not the doing of the god of money. And that's significant because every other market crash was his doing. And essentially every now and then, he gets hungry and he needs dependence for all the wealth and power he's given to the controlling parties. And that comes in the form of a crash. And so people are sacrificed and they're sacrificed by taking away their wealth. And um, the detective and his professor counterpart realized that the 1987 crash was in fact not caused by Mammon, which leads you to ask who then caused it, why and how, how did they pull it off? And I take a, a bit of perverse glory in this book more than others because <laughs> The central family, uh, or one of the central families that run everything, is the Rothschild family. And uh, many of you probably know that I am a, uh, I'm the uh, co-chief investment officer for uh, a Rothschild family. Uh, it's not the same Rothschild family in this book, I assure you. Uh, but, but it is uh, somewhat funny to see that name front and center in, in the capital markets in the way that it is, since that is my everyday life. So, um, and, and I don't want to short shrift Coker. Um, Coker is a realistic artist. Uh, he draws with realism, but much as Vince noted with the Malev reference earlier, 
Coker doesn't draw from, he uses realistic reference for sure, but it's never cut and paste Photoshop. It is him rendering an image that just happens to be reasonably realistic. Like someone would be that's drawing a portrait and it is powerful stuff. And the book is also, um, it's, it's a, it's a mainly black and white book. It's, it's not actually black and white in the sense that there are other colors. And, uh, but, but if, if you could read this book and then in your mind think that it's just black and white, that's it's, it's, it's generally in those tones. It's pretty Um, subtle. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it is a colored book. I mean, if you flip through the, the, there are certainly colors on many pages, but, but generally the book is mainly black and white. Um, and, um, in, in true Hickman form, uh, there are interstitial pages that talk about the history of money and the history of these families and how the Canna and the Kincretes, which were the Eastern and the Western money center powers came together and the dark arts that, that, that keep them bonded to each other and the betrayals that they've dealt with over the years. And, He'll he'll give you pages of of, of email chains between key characters that uh, happened years before to set up backstory. So um, now now for some people, I think it's fair to say Dap included. Sometimes they can get annoyed by this stuff and feel like it's a little bit filler. Um, I think in general Hickman is on the right side of that, and that um, he does love to put this stuff in a book, but it's not the expense of the of the rest of the book being visually pleasing and or filling. Um, uh, you know, your mileage may vary there, but but I would say if, if you're already familiar with Hickman, you you either know that you like that or you know that you don't. Um, but certainly if if you are a Hickman fan, you don't you don't you won't have a problem with it. So I'm hundred percent on board this book. I, I don't know what kind of reception it's getting. I, I I don't hear anyone else ever talk about it. Um and it was having a bit of a time with its release, whether that was Hickman or Coker, I I'm not gonna I'm not gonna guess. But it is engaging. Every issue is fantastic and has a cliffhanger. Um, so it's not one of those things where you just need to just sit and wait for the trades to come out. It, it is an issue by issue. Um, you get your bang for your buck. Um, so, uh, it's probably one of my favorite books that I've been reading for the last year. And yet I feel like I haven't talked about it much. So I wanted to make sure that I threw this one some love. And I think it's the kind of book that Vince probably wouldn't like that much. No, I actually do like it. It's just you that, do. Yeah, I I didn't buy the single issues, but I read mm-hmm. issues one and two, and I'm like, God damn, I wish I got the single issues for this. But so now I'm in the position of mm. waiting for that. Did the first trade come out? Yeah, the second trade just came out. Okay, so I need both mm-hmm. of them. Well, I, I wasn't. It's good to hear. I, th- there are things that do appeal to you: the occult. The sure. dark arts, dark yeah. gods, but then it is wrapped under the vein of very f- real finance, right? And but it's if a talkie it's, book. If it's occult forces manipulating these very real yeah. finance, uh, I'm in. Mm-hmm. I, I'll I'll learn or I'll I'll do the research to learn um, what's going on if I don't understand it. Um, yeah, I know. I'd love to sit down and talk to Hickman. He he seems to have. I don't know if it's an axe to grind or just a fascination with. I don't know if his family was in finance because Transhuman was incredibly uh, well researched as well. Yeah, um, that that's a comic I don't think many people liked because it was very dry. You know, I talked about IPOs and mergers and acquisitions, but as someone who lives that life, I thought it was very well done. It was it was clearly he understands that world to some degree. Yeah. Uh, so there are many people in my circles that would tell you that the events of black Monday murders are not fantasy, that they are in <laughs> fact reality. Well, there you go. 
Yeah. So what'd you pull off the rack? Well, you asked for it. I'm going to give it to you. Yep. This is a book published by FACU. Press FACU, F-A-K-K-U books, FACU books. The the leading purveyors of fine hentai. um, Oh, no. (laughs) Hey, this is called Shintaro Kago's Pretty Girls Collection, Bizarre Manga Artist, Super Dimensional Love Gun. (laughs) Of course it is. Yeah. It has a dust jacket. But... Actually, this dust jacket serves a purpose because the dust jacket depicts a young girl um, in frillies um, doing things a young girl does. And it's all pretty and very colorful. And you take the dust jacket off and it is a double spread, a battle scene of young girls blasting each other with laser guns. One girl has her top of her head blown off there are gigantic battle pods shaped in the form of the heads of young girls with the brain cavity hollowed out and and more little girls inside the brain of these things firing mounted lasers just destroying each other there's a girl propped up against uh remnants of a building and she's only has half a body she's trying to shove her guts back into her body that is Shintaro Kago. I follow him on Facebook. This guy is an impeccable draftsman, one of the finest that I have ever seen. He drew, his, his draftsmanship is amazing, but he has a penchant for body horror, let's just say. Mm-hmm. Young, pretty girls slicing themselves up. Um, brains leaking out, intestines hanging out all over. Um, this is an anthology. And I won't get into every one of the stories, but the titles. Japan's number one beauty town. Kano Shigure's Blessed Daily Life. Miss Tumizuka's Refined Hobby. Lament of the Headless. White String. Oral Cavity Contagion Syndrome. Uh, collecting touch, collecting water, and and it goes on and on. Um, this the summer bugs that fly into your eyes. He likes to play with the human anatomy. I mean, the the first story is is called Japan's number one beauty town, and it's Maiden Town, M A Y D E N Town, where young girls are shaped to be impeccable beauties. There's a scene with the the girls in corrals much like animals with their their um their dresses hiked up and their there are the epitome of beauty is being shoved into their their body cavities they're not they're not allowed to get too fat but they're fed on um sweets cakes and candies they're fed in a trough um they're they're bred to dazzle and um you know cloud the minds of men because they say here that a beauty reading on a train is a joy for everyone it just causes peace and it's very satirical very very tongue in cheek 
Um, if, if, if the girls get too heavy, they're smashed in a giant trash compactor. <laughs> um, they're, they're trained in the martial arts. So if any, um, this call, this man's called a Lola Khan. He's actually a pedophile. If, if a, a pedophile preys on them, they can defend themselves. And there, there are other beautiful girls that are jealous of the maiden girl and they put a bottle of sulfuric acid above the door of a classroom and this girl is doused in sulfuric acid and she just basically melts her skin is bubbling and foaming and her eye falls out and she's instantly replaced by another beauty so like i said it's not played straight it's it's very much satire hopefully um the the story that i want to tell you about is uh kono shigure's blessed daily life and it starts off with a little bit of a flashback. It's a young Japanese boy and girl. The girl's very distraught because her pet recently died. And the boy says, well, let's go to the cemetery and we'll, we'll give it a proper burial. And they bury the animal. And the girl just can't get over the loss of her pet. So um, one day the boy in school offers the girl some food. And she's, she's like, just eat this, eat this. And he, she's like, well, what is it? He's like, don't, don't worry about it, just eat it. He dug up the pet and fed it to the girl because he wants to feed his loved ones the things that they love most. Mm. So later on, the boy grows up and he gets a girlfriend. And, you know, he, he takes her on dates and shit. And um, he files his nails and shears off pieces of the underside of his foot and puts them in a in a in a hoagie and he makes her eat it oh my god and then he go he's late for a date and he extracts his blood from a syringe with a syringe and he injects it in a in a starbucks and he gives it to the girl to drink um then he actually takes the girl captive And he's bottomless, and he's he's playing with his little thing while he's he's talking to her, and he cuts off his little toes, and he puts them in a blender, and makes her drink them. Oh my God, dude. And then what is the matter with you? And then then there's there's a huge panel. So fucked up. There's a huge panel with the guy in pieces, and he says, "You see, my dream is to have the woman I love." consume me the man she's in love with if possible just until a brain remains so i remain conscious and he very graphically cuts out part of his thigh and makes her some food he shears off his ear and puts it in her mouth and she actually digs it after a while it shows the girl the guy's in a wheelchair because he's dismembered himself so drastically that um, he asks her, how's the food? I tried using a little less salt this time. And she says, the seasoning is still lacking. I can stomach a bowl of it, but it won't do for a whole, a whole meal. And he's like, shit, I got to go back to the drawing board. In Miss Tumizuka's refined hobby, she is a touch fetishist. She she allows her hands to get chapped 
and her skin to crack in order to scratch at the wounds. She loves to scratch at the wounds. She has a cubicle of mosquitoes that she keeps in the winter that let her that that she lets sting her in order to to um scratch the the mosquito bites she infests herself with crab lice in order to feel the intoxifying pain of having her nether regions infested by a, a parasite um and she joins a club the uh the club is a, a group of like-minded people who maim themselves to the point where they their bruises are infected and they scratch them and they rub each other's bruises together. Um, this this thing's amazing, man. It's just it is so transgressive. It's not even funny. Like the the one girl has a wound on her head that she allows uh, Miss Tumazuka to to scratch. And Kago goes in and shows her scratching the wound and then pulling her finger away. And there's a a trail of yuck from, from the wound to her finger. Um, and in the end, it's just a room full of bloodied, disgusting, melting people in, a, in an orgy-like sequence where they're all like scratching each other's pus-filled wounds. <laughs> it's nuts it's it's incredible there's uh there there's a story well, you're certainly keeping with the theme tonight yeah yeah there's a story called the white string that um anybody that get gets pierced any part of their body a white string will appear and if you pull on it various things happen depending on the location um of the pierce um and this girl gets a white string in her ear and she pulls on it her ear piercing she pulls on it and her eyes roll back in her head and luckily on board the airplane there is a man who is um he's a doctor and he's a specialist in um white strings and he he fixes he fixes her her ailment but she has a friend who is uh, a piercing fetishist. She's pierced everywhere. Her labia, her clitoris, the inside of her legs, her breasts, like everything is pierced. And she obviously has white strings protruding from every part of her body. And this man basically tortures her by pulling all the white strings. He can make her instantly orgasm by pulling a string. He can make her... This is ridiculous, but he makes her eject a baby <laughs> by, by pulling another string. He pulls the string and a baby just like shoots out Monty Python style from between her legs. And he puts the string back and the baby goes whoop, like <laughs> right back in. Oh my God. But he, he, he tortures her to the point where she's a dwarf. Like he keeps pulling the strings and her legs retract and her arms become like little T-Rex arms. And she's like, help me. And he eventually kills her. So the girl that was her friend that he met on board the plane with the with the white string, she vows revenge on um on this doctor, but it doesn't end well. What what he does is he pierces her all over her body, collects all the white strings and pulls them all at once. And she basically explodes. <laughs> Just guts and gore all over the place. But the the main story that really 
I have no words to do. Well, I do, but it, <laughs> this story was shocking. It's called Oral Cavity Contagion Syndrome. In this story, apparently, when, when a woman gives a man oral gratification, her mouth, her mouth will conform to the shape of the man's penis. There is a girl with a very large O for a mouth. Obviously, this man has a large penis. There is a woman with a completely square orifice for her mouth. There is a woman with a star. Uh, one woman has two orifices for her mouth. I don't want to know what happened there. But then there's a woman with a Tetris-style um, geometric shape for her mouth. And she feels like her boyfriend is cheating on her. So so they go searching for other women with the same mouth configuration as herself. And um, the, uh, the, the thing is contagious. So if a woman gives um, oral gratification to a man, her mouth will conform to the shape, but she can pass that on to someone else. So there's a man, a cat, um, a, a frog with... Um, <laughs> the shape of the penis. Uh, this thing is so bizarre. It's also, apparently, it's also transferable to posters um, on the subway. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> uh, I, I just, I loved every every minute of this thing. There, there's, <laughs> You're there, the oldest child I know. There are women that women that like a fucking like it's Christmas Day <laughs> talking about. Yeah, this is great. I love trans. Porn. See, if somebody can make me see something or experiencing something that I've never experienced before, that's a win. The, there's in the story collecting water. These women are serial abortionists. Mm -hmm. They they get pregnant just to have abortions because they're haunted by the aborted children. They form these these ghosts that ring their heads. And it's it's a it's a battle. It's it's the battle of the abortion stars. Like one girl has six abortions and another girl has like eight and she's like, Oh you ain't nothing. Yeah, I have eight abortions. And so this girl keeps getting pregnant and getting her, her children aborted to win this stupid contest among these women who are addicted to killing their children. Yeah. And and the the girls are drawn with these bloody fetuses clinging to their heads. Like when they appear in the panel, they have black-eyed, open-mouthed, bald, bleeding babies on their heads. It's insane. But I can honestly say, and one girl I mean, they they admire this one girl because she arranged her dead fetuses in a very pleasing pattern. Another girl did like a waterfall cascade. One did this um, Art Nouveau type thing. Another girl alternated partners. So her babies are black and white, black and white, black and white, like the keys of a piano keyboard. <laughs> <laughs> it is. You have to laugh, right? Because it's just so fucking bizarre. Um, Shintaro Kago. Uh, pretty girls collection, super dimensional love gun. <laughs> like this may be my freaking book of the year. I don't know. It's Oy. no, it is. 
It is amazing. Uh. But when you see how this guy draws, mm-hmm. go on Facebook and type in Shintaro Kago or Google Shintaro Kago. He's, his drawing style is formidable. Like this guy can draw anything in any situation. Um, there's a story in here where he does um, for mandalas and circles what um, uh, Izumaki with the spirals. Mm-hmm. It's, it's the same type thing. There's a circle in the middle of almost every panel, but he pulls it off. Um, it's uh, There's even more bizarre things in here. It's uh, 212 pages, maybe. I, I love it. I, I would not part with this book f- for my life. Awesome. Yeah. If that makes me a sicko... Well, then so be it. But it is that mind-bending, transgressive, pulse-pounding, bile-rising. Like, if you, can, if you can make me feel revulsion, you win. I give mm-hmm. it up to you. you. You've disturbed me on a level that few have managed to do. And this book is, as, I, as you've heard, um, disturbing. So if you'd like to be pushed over the line, check it out. Super Dimensional mm. Love Gun. I'm glad I got to that. I am too. Yeah, me too. Thank um, you, Jason. Everybody should send Jason mail thanking him for letting me get into that. Yes. Well, you just, you're funny. You're like, oh my gosh, it's going to be a long one tonight. We're ready to do this, do this. Like 11.15, you're like, all right, any travels, everybody? So, yeah, no, let's I, I was going to save the Love Gun for next week. You know, I just next, next week's week, book next, of the month, dog. Right. All right. So, all right. So, hey, we're going to be in your bonus travels, episode. So, in bonus episode, we're going to have a guest. You did touch base with the guest, right? No, because I'm waiting for you guys to tell me what day to tell him. But. Oh, what is well, you, dropper? You said this morning. Amazing. Well, none of you responded that it would be the good day. Uh, oh, this no, responded. It, it works for me. I mean, you know, Monday night good? Monday, is Monday yeah. night good? Yeah. I'm in. Me. Oh. Well, I don't know. You might be doing a barbecue or something. It's Memorial Day. What's m- m- Memorial Day's Monday? Yep. Yep. I got to work. I, I, I you have to work? Yeah. Are you kidding Jesus. me? It's a big day. Yeah. Oh, true. Well, Talk but can you record Monday night or no? Hell yeah. Okay. okay. Then I will. I'll think. Um, manga. <laughs> well, I don't have manga, but I have something that a um, little off the beaten path, at least as far as what I usually. Um, order from dcbs this is from humanoids this is called snow day Ooh. um it is a it's slightly oversized um i don't know if i can call it a graphic novel or a collection it was originally published um, oh, we're fucking bringing it tonight nobody's talking about any fresh. fucking regular shit anything too baby um this is uh, your your creators are uh, Pierre Wazim is your writer. You like this because there's a cat on the cover. There's a cat on the cover. That is pretty much why <laughs> it was ordered. Uh, Antoine Aubin is your problem. artist, and yeah, Mark. How do you, how you talk? Man, I can't. You're about to talk about a humanoids book. I haven't read. That's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> it is crazy. Uh, and Mark Bentz is your translator. This was um, if if you're a fan of Fargo. Mm. You'll the probably, movie or the TV show? 
Actually, kind of both. It really would. So I, haven't read, I haven't seen the TV show, but I like the, it. the first season is is awesome. I haven't seen the second because Snaggletooth is in it, and I want to watch the third because our boy um, Snaggletooth uh, from uh, the the Star Trek episode of Black Mirror is is in it. Um, so yeah, so I need to. But um, my man. <laughs> anyway, this is uh, it's it's a day in the life of Spencer, who is this small rinky dink towns sheriff spencer is a uh, is a slight man um you're, you're you're pretty much thrown in to what's going on and and it, we start off with um ross the the art is is reminds me of kurtzman to some degree also um a little bit Boswell, who did uh, Reed Fleming, um, yeah, there, I see that. Yeah, there's there's a um, there, there's a scene later on. It's a flashback that is crazy loose. That is definitely like Kurtzman's just layouts and his roughs. But brother, um, I love this art. It's right. I, I love do it. Too. it. Looks great. Yeah. Um. So I mean, we start off with with just the the morning of, of this town at everybody coming to, but there are three dudes locked up in the, uh, in the pokey. And we find out that the, um, Ross who runs the factory, he comes barging in to the sheriff's station because he wants these three dudes released. And, uh, Spencer is letting him know that, you know, no, I'm not, I can't do that. They, um, they broke the law and, and we need to see this through. So Ross runs to the mayor and the mayor Basically, uh, everybody treats Spencer like a kid. And uh, we find out that Kathleen over at the diner who Spencer was dating, uh, she kind of just comes out and asks him, you know, well, you know why you got this job. And it's it's because he just is going to get everybody's just going to take advantage of him and run right over him. And, and uh, he's he's got no real power is basically what it comes down to. And, and this is basically a day where Spencer's kind of just had enough and um all he wants to do is see this through and he he gets pushed around he gets beat up um he gets bossed around he goes to visit this this elderly woman emma who's uh who lost her husband some time ago and she she kind of dotes on spencer um we don't get a lot of backstory as far as everybody's relationship and how everybody knows each other it's a small enough town where you kind of just know that things have been set and in their ways for a long time. Um, there's the, the appears to be the local nut job, Becky, who's, who just seems to be odd and, and not at all, not all there. Uh, the sheriff gives her a ride in the, um, yeah, he does. And the makeshift tractor. Cause he's plowing the, yeah, the yeah. county road. So he can, uh, so, so, so the town isn't completely cut off. Um, but the flashback story is, is amazing because it's all crazy loose in, in its style. Uh, and, and we're told, you know, how the three hooligans got arrested and, and locked up. Um, and when they do get released, Spencer basically is, is just like, I no, I, I, I've had enough. This is what's going to happen. He goes to the factory, finds these three dudes. You're, you're, you're at almost at every page. You're concerned. You're worried that something is going to happen to Spencer. He is not going to make it out of this story. And, and uh, you just, 
you don't everybody kind of just does everything up to the the they'll they'll beat him up they'll push him around but nobody's actually trying to hurt him or kill him but it it's it's all just very there, there, there's, there's some tension, and 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 there's, there's definitely some concern because he, he kind of, he's, he's a little bit out of his league. He, he, he's not the type of dude who, who can kind of boss these factory workers around, even though he is the sheriff. And and uh, it, it's, it's kind of some, it, it's, it, there's empty power here, and uh, it, it ends in. It ends in a way where um, I think it, it's kind of expected. You 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 can kind of see where things are going, and, and I'm glad they did kind of do a big swerve. But uh, I, I really, you know, as far as something different and not so um, what I usually bring every week to just a little something off the beaten path. This was, this was a nice diversion, a nice little, um, just definitely something I, I, I think I needed, but, uh, the cat does not play as big as a part as I was hoping when I, mm-hmm. when I ordered the book, but, uh, no, it's, it's, it's really a, um, I think when, when they, uh, I, I they knew, I think they knew who who they were aiming for as far as people who were gonna who were gonna read this. I, I I dug it quite a bit. I um I definitely would recommend it. It's um it's about it's about a hundred pages or so, but it's it's you know, they're um you know, the book ends at the end of the day and uh it's there there are definitely some um some moments that make you smile when, when Spencer is uh is going through the factory to look for the third dude um, because he, he's probably a bit concussed from the events from earlier in the day. Uh, it's very hot because he's going into the bowels of the factory. Uh, he's kind of seeing some things. His, 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 his mind's playing tricks on him um, without the ghetto boys being around. But there, there's a, um, yeah, I, 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 I really liked it. I, I didn't know what to expect, and I am quite happy with uh, with this purchase. I, I don't, um, yeah, I, I don't think I don't think you you could do worse. This is definitely a uh, a, a book that I, I would recommend. I, it's weird. It's, I kind of want other people to read this, but I don't want to part with my copy, but it's something that mm-hmm. I probably will end up sending to a patron, but it, it's, it's, it's really good. It's, it's way better than I thought it was going to be. I, it was a complete, um, this was a month where I wasn't close to, um, to what I kind of set myself with my budget at DCBS. I saw the cover, like you said, Jason, and, and, uh, um, it was, it, the price was right. So I figured I get, I ordered it on the Lark. Um, Finally read it. Glad I ordered it. Glad I read it. I I, I think uh, other people should as well. Man, I'll tell you, I think Humanoids uh, is another publisher that uh, just just does very little wrong. They just they they put out quality stuff. And there's no, I mean, and and whatever they think is going to work for 
that story. They, they, they don't try, and I mean, it's not a slight against Titan. They're not trying to reformat it so that it fits in a regular size comic book. They're right. just like, this, this is the story. These are the pages. This is what, you know, the 100 pages, and this is the format. If it's if it's a, a Jodorowsky book, it's whatever. They're, they're, they're going to publish it and, and um, size or page count, whatever. Because uh, it's not like there's any real extra back matter. There's, there's nothing as far as, you know, there's no... There's no author page letting you know what else these creators do. Um, basically, you just get the story in between two covers, and and uh, everything you need is within those two covers. That's um, so I I can't. Uh, yeah, I, I definitely recommend it. Boom. You wake fans? Think with lost fans. Yeah, mute. You press mute. Oh. Damn, I did press mute. I think I said it it sounds very good. Well, you know what I was doing? I was uploading the images for this uh-huh. book to the gallery. Uh-huh. Um, it sounds very good and and I want to read it. Maybe, well, I'll, I'll, maybe I'll, I'll trade you something for it. I'll bring it to Jason's. Oh, I'll trade these. I'll bring the uh mad slipcase. What was I going to give you the the Oh. Yeah. The Don Martin? The Don Martin slipcase. I'll give you that for it. I'm glad you're giving it to him because I would never part with mine. Well, we ain't the same being. <laughs> That's for sure. You got that right. <laughs> and thank you, y'all, for being here with us once again. This thing was sponsored by Discount Comic Book Service, DCBService.com, where you can get your books getting fast, get them delivered right to your domicile for a fraction of the retail cost. Remember these specials from IDW, Transformers Unicron, number one of six, $2.49. Batman Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2 from DC, Freddie Williams II. Uh, $12.49 for a beautiful six-issue hardcover. And from Marvel, The Cosmic Ghost Rider by Donny Cates and Dylan Burnett will cost you $1.99. In your travels, I got caught up on a book I let lapse. And I'm sorry for doing that because I love it so much. It's written by Wes Craig, illustrated by Toby Cypress. Nico Guardia is the colorist. And uh, Jared K. Fletcher is in charge of letters and design. It is called The Grave Diggers Union. Mm. Uh, are you guys caught up? No. Um, I don't know. I'm probably, I'm not caught up. I'm, 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 I'm probably like two issues behind? Last one four I, issues? Or? No, I, last one I read was five. Oh, okay. Yeah, as I was going to say. Okay. Uh, here's the rub. There exists a very, um, assumedly evil group of people called uh, the Black Temple. And they want to usher in the apocalypse by uh, setting forth all these dark gods in the Lovecraft tradition. They, they call them Chthonic gods. And um, the Gravediggers Union are a bunch of ordinary jamokes that have pledged to eradicate the undead, the evils, the vampires, and, and stop this black temple from doing what they're doing. And, uh, you get, uh, essentially the, the, the gravediggers union is a, is a trio of, uh, Cole Ortiz and my favorite Haley. And, um, 
there are very various and sundry restrictions to being in the Gravediggers Union. One of them is you do not associate with a witch uh, by any means, and they do just that. They they have to call upon a witch, the services of a witch, in order to find out what the hell's going on. Um, and it involves uh, Cole's estranged daughter, Morgan. Um, she is the chosen one. And, uh, and it just catapults into absurdity uh from there but uh, i've i've been a long time admirer of toby cypress and i don't think he's ever looked this good um he's employing some uh, whether it's um nico or, or toby i don't know who's doing it but they're they're using this blasted out drip uh solarized type thing where um, it looks like there's a swatch, a swath, sorry, of color that drips down between two or more panels, but it also changes the color of the panel border. It's, it's very smartly done. It doesn't drip into the gutter. It drips over the gutter. And, and it's, it's in, geez, at least half of the panels in, in this mm-hmm. book. It, it's amazing. I, um, and, and Toby's one of those, awesome seat of your pants type illustrators where it looks like he just knocks it out on the fly, but I'm sure it takes him longer than that. Um, and Wes Craig is also illustrating um, uh, a premise in, involving um, a very, very smart albino ape and uh, mankind's subservience, subservience to these these elder gods. We were slaves and, and at one time... Um, one broke free and he was dismembered violently and it eventually trickles down to this albino ape who plays a part in supposedly the the future storyline. Um, there are beaked winged, um, gods of, of the light that, that come down and eradicate these elder gods, but they don't, they're not successful. It's just, it's amazing. Um, and it's not anything I would have expected to the guy that's drawing um, Deadly Class. Deadly Class. Yeah. yeah. Totally unexpected. But it, it's it's like uh, if if you're a fan of Ghostbusters, and I, I hate to compare it to that because it's not as – well, it's kind of goofy. But, but it's not as tongue-in-cheek as Ghostbusters. But it's the same basic premise. There's all these nasties, vampires and undead and zombies and uh, – proliferating on, on the planet and the, the, the Gravediggers Union eradicates them. But there's a, a bigger picture, and that's the Black Temple. Why are they doing this? you got to read it. It's it's fun. Nice. Yeah. Um, run back to Image for a second to another first issue. Um, not sure if we're probably going to Go deep on this in the near future. Um, but if you haven't, please go and pick up Death or Glory number one by Rick Remender, by Bengal. Um, it is a, um, it's a beautiful looking book. I, Again, Remender is not um, 
somebody I think who's going to phone it in. I, I, I have yet to be um, underwhelmed by any of his stories. So uh, I'm in with, you know, I, I see Rick's name attached to something. I'm definitely going to give it a shot. Uh, but this, aside from seeing Glory leaning against the car, I had no idea what to expect. Um, but I, I, I think Bengals art is, uh, it, it, there's, um, there's some, not hardcore realism, but, but there's the usual, the, the, the Jorge Jimenez, Gleason-esque type of, of realism, but, but there's, there's some manga influences as, as the, uh, there are any action sequences towards the end of the book, the end of the first issue. Uh, but I am interested in the characters. We have glory. We have red who she's, uh, trying to take care of. Um, there's a, uh, basically the Ben Gazzara character from roadhouse type dude. Who's, um, goes by the name of Toby who has the police in his pocket. And, uh, the chief is Virgil. Who's kind of doing his dirty work, running, uh, running errands for the guy. Um, but glory has a plan because she wants to help red who pretty much raised her. And, uh, he's not, he's ill. So, she she needs to do what she needs to do to um to make sure he can get better. Um, so there's definitely a um it's a story that 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 kind of plays with your emotions a bit, but it looks absolutely stunning. Um, Bengal is only listed as the artist, and I don't see a separate colorist, so I'm 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 going to go out on a limb and say that Bengal is also coloring the book. Uh, um, but I have just every page you, you just stop and soak it all in, whether, whether it's, it's cars on the road, whether it's, um, a group of characters at the bar, whether it's glory getting out of the bathtub, there are just things that your eyes just kind of stay on for a while. And, and there's something on every page that you definitely, um, that you're anchored to. And, and it's, it's not a quick read because you do take your time taking it all in, but, um, bit of a cliffhanger at the end of the first issue, which is definitely going to bring me back to the second. There's one character that's introduced early on in the first issue. Um, that, uh, kind of bummed about with, uh, what happens before the issue ends, but it's, it's a real good first issue. So, so hats off to, um, to Rick yet again and Bengal and company, um, check out, uh, death or glory. Number one. Indeed. In two weeks, we'll have Vince review death or glory. So we can have the trifecta. Nice. Um, yeah. New travels, uh, because I'm sure everyone is curious. Um, I'm going to give you a uh, go out and see 
instead of to go out and read, and that is Deadpool 2. Yes. Now, a bunch of you did already go see it, including Dap and myself. Yes. Um, it was fantastic. It was everything. It, very simple equation here. If you loved the first one, you're going to love this one. If you didn't care for the first one, I presume you probably weren't clamoring to go see it anyway, but uh, I wouldn't go see it. <laughs> it's, it's, it's more of the same. It's, it's, it's the first movie times two. Um, it's uh, amped up in the sense that you've got uh, a bit, just a bit more of a plot. The first one didn't have much of a plot. This, this has a little bit more of a plot. It's, it's not, you know, it's, it's not a plot driven movie. Um, it, it is a action comedy movie. It's like watching a bunch of uh, YouTube videos all in a row between how did they do that crazy action to gut-busting laughing. That's really what this is. Um, I will say that uh, to all of you busters that made fun of the X-Force costumes, in particular Shatterstar, (laughs) you're going to feel like dummies after you watch the movie because it was all intentional. Uh, and I think the real reason I wanted to make sure we mentioned it this week is that, uh, as you all know, because I wrote an essay about it last year when they cast her, um, I don't know if it's, I don't know if I can lay claim to being the world's biggest Domino fan, but I'm certainly in the running and I am a fan of Zazie Beetz, the actress. I think she's fantastic when Atlanta. So at the time when they announced that she was going to be Domino, I had no problems with it because the movie is different than the comics. But I did hope that they opted to make her look like the comic Domino for selfish reasons. Um, We quickly then found out they weren't going to do that. They had Zazie basically look like Zazie. Zazie is a beautiful black woman with uh, a fro, and that's basically how she is as Domino. The only difference being that she has a um, pure white like albino birthmark around her eye. so everyone kind of was worried that I wasn't going to vibe on her. Uh, but I will tell you that uh, in no uncertain terms, she is the best part of the film. She is charming and funny uh, and beautiful and she kicks ass. And although she looks nothing like the character I've had a million commissions done of, she is in every other way uh, the domino that I uh, have fallen in love with in the books from a personality perspective, from a power perspective. So um, I am fully on board with Zazie as Domino in the in the movie world. So, um, and I got to tell you, um, they they should just stop doing after credit scenes because this movie. I don't know how anyone could top this movie's after credit scenes. It's true, they it's were so jaw droppingly funny, and I don't think that there's any way anyone can top them. So, two huge thumbs up in your travels. If you're a Mark ass bitch and you haven't gone to see it yet, make sure you find time over Memorial Day weekend and go to see that instead of that Mark Ass Buster solo movie that's coming out. <laughs> I can't wait to see solo. Me, me, I'm damn too. I'm scared. <laughs> I'm going to see it. Too. It's got Gambino in it, dude. How am I not going to go see I don't know what I'm going to see it. I just need to see it. Gambino versus Zazie. Atlanta, Atlanta up against each other in the box office. Oh, that's right. What'd you think, Dad? I, I, I loved it. It was, um, I mean, yeah, the first movie is the origin story, got that out of the way. So they definitely built on that. They went in some directions that I wasn't expecting. I didn't know, um, I didn't know how, I didn't know how funny, I didn't, 
I didn't expect it to be as funny as it was. I thought mm-hmm. everybody was fantastic. That there were Easter eggs and name drops throughout the um, throughout the movie that just had me giggling. It, it it's it it services the fanboys as much as Infinity War did, just on different levels and and for a different audience. But it was. Um, there were there were moments where I just I could not stop laughing. I thought um, I just I had an absolute blast from from start to finish, and and the, the those end credit scenes were are, are almost worth sitting <laughs> through the entire movie right. to get to. Um, yeah, I, I uh, and the beginning credits were the, the the intro credits were were fantastic as well, and and tied into the way things go. And and just like the first movie, you, you got the flashbacks and and to to try to tell the story where 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 it's going. But uh, there were, um, yeah, I, 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 I know that uh, after the first movie came out, the director Tim Miller was had an idea for the second movie, which kind of went against the story that um, Ryan Reynolds and the rest of the production crew wanted to tell. So there was a parting of ways. Uh, I am, I, this is definitely a case where I, I am glad that, uh, one side won and, and, uh, there was no, um, I, I, I have no idea what, what Miller would have done or, or, or how he would have done it differently or, or what kind of story he was going to tell, but this, this definitely, uh, fits in with the first one. Uh, they, they, they do work very well together if, if you watch them back to back uh i just um yeah i j- just just the sight gags and and the quips and the reactions from the other characters i mean there there may be a couple th- i mean the fact that we fucking got black tom cassidy in 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 mm-hmm. a movie and and it was a badass it was just and they uh, and they just played up the idea that he was a a, a white dude at thinking he was black which is funny <laughs> It's just he's like cables a racist, but it's it's it was just it's so good and yeah the getting the X Force team together was fantastic. The cameo the cameos I should say were um, were done really well. I, I have no complaints with it. I and even the the drive home, you know, my wife was had a blast. So uh, kudos all around. Can't wait for Vince to see it. Can't wait for Vince to take us off mute and actually participate <laughs> in the episode. I miss Vince. <laughs> I tell you, I'll see it before Infinity War, that's for sure. Yeah, we know. So there you go. Does not compute. Mm-hmm. Hey, everybody, we love you so much. Thank you for being here with us once again. If you would be so kind, check us out on the Facebook, 11 O'Clock Comics. That's where we are. We got a Patreon going on. Uh, patreon.com forward slash 110comics Twitter, all that stuff. In the meantime, three weeks until Heroes. I know. It's going to be three awesome. weeks. <laughs> oh my God, three weeks. You know. We get some barbecue. <laughs> oh, no. we're going to get some Q. Don't I'm sorry. About that. I didn't know we were shortening it. Are we going to that, that diner again? I hope. Of fuck yes. On, dude. dude, we cannot. On, it's, it's like. That's a given. That's tradition. 
right. Pancakes. pancakes. Yes. Two o'clock in the morning pancakes. Can't beat it. That's right, baby. Yeah, Why, that's you right. got to wait online in the morning. Mm-hmm. Say goodnight. David. Good night. David. That's pretty good. Oh, oh thanks, don't forget, though, Correct. Book of the Month. Yeah, next time. Yes. Got to yes. do the Book of No, I mean, but so people know. What do they got to read, David? What is the Book of the Month? They have to read. What did I say it was? Savage Tales? The Savage Sword. Savage Sword. Um, no, it's the it's the um it's the first collection with the um Savage Tales uh it's the black and white magazines. Yeah. Savage yeah. Tales. Right. But it's it's um Savage Sword on. of Conan volume Savage Sword of Conan Volume One, which mm-hmm. um If it was Savage was, Tales, we'd be talking man thing. Yeah, I know. It's uh but yeah, it's it's the Savage Tales of Conan the Barbarian and and um it's the Barry Windsor Smith and, mm-hmm. and some Gil Kane. It's it's from the anthology magazines, but yeah. So it's um the book published from Dark Horse um damn over ten years ago now. But mm-hmm. um yeah, it, it's it's just that's what you're that's what you're reading. So, and, and, and on the Patreon page, I'm sorry. There's a um, when 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 the the book was announced, when the poll was made, um, I believe Christopher Hubble asked which volume it was. So so there is a link in the um, in the thread that uh, will let you know which one to get. Yes, and and we actually owe shout outs to Mr. John Sullivan and Mr. Scott Anderson, who are our newest patrons. Yay. Yes. Thank you. Sully and Anderson. As Savage, Savage Sword volume contains some of the best art ever committed to Bristol board. That is strong words. It's not hyperbole. You're prone to hyperbole, but... Hyperbole? Busima Conan is... Not as good as Busima Avengers, but it's good. Oh, it's much, mm-hmm. it's much better than Busima mm-hmm. Avengers. Well, I in the art market would disagree, but that's cool. Well, the hell with the art market. I'm going by my eyes. He was born to draw Conan, and and he even preferred to draw Conan. Who um, who redrew Conan's head on the um in the Gil Kane story? Oh, Neil probably did, because Neil and Pablo and some schmuck are the anchors on the Gil Kane story. Some schmuck. Oh, Vinny. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> The only storms. the only legit inker for for Busema is Alfredo Alcala. Mm-hmm. He is that that team is gold, baby. Yeah. Speaking of inkers, guess who's going to be at Heroes, Vince? Speaking of inkers, Terry Austin. No. Um. Aiken and Garvey. Imagine. No. I don't know. Mike Royer. Get the hell out of here. Yeah. No shit. Yep. I'm a hug him. I know. And Tom Palmer. Wow. I'm a hug Royer. (laughs) I'm a hug Palmer. Best ever inker for Kirby. Barnard. That's why I mentioned to you. Barnard. What's going on, Yep. 
Boy, Royer must be like, he's up there, right? Man, you need to buy a page from him. Mm. Yeah, okay. Why not? We're talking, what are we talking, thousands? Dude, you got it. Join us you next stack time. Stack it, dog. You stack it. Yeah, join it next time, people. We'll be here. We love you so much. Just come back. He's 77. 77. Bye. Say goodnight. Latest.